welcome back to another episode of Closing the Loop. Today's guest is Brent Whitehead, co-founder of Giga Energy, a company which builds, operates, and sells equipment for off-grid Bitcoin mining operations. The mobility, viability, and adaptability of Bitcoin mining has in the last few years become recognized for the unique opportunities it represents for capturing and monetizing stranded or waste energy. As a result, the industry is currently experiencing a boom as market participants respond to the incentive which now exists to turn a liability into an asset which has a global market and operates 24-7, 365. This method of Bitcoin mining is helping to increase resource efficiency, improve the economics of energy production and distribution, and helping to further decentralize and secure the Bitcoin network. It's an incredibly exciting development in the Bitcoin ecosystem and bound to have many other positive downstream effects, which is why I invited Brent on to share more about his experiences and perspective. Enjoy. There we go. Brent, thanks for joining me for a discussion today, man. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, John. So uh, why don't we start with you and the, the Giga Energy story, and then we can uh, see where the conversation unfolds from there. Yeah, for sure. So we founded Giga Energy in 2019, so just about three and a half years ago. Uh, we literally started it in college. My co-founder, Matt Lostro, uh, he was an Aggie as well. I went to Texas A&M, uh, big, big energy school. And uh, he was already orange pilled. He was a maxi and was starting to get all of his friends orange pilled. And that's how I got to know Matt was he was the Bitcoin guy. Uh, well, Matt brought up this idea to me in 2019. Uh, we were just friends at the time. It was like, hey, do you know where any flare gas is? And the reason he asked me that is my family's background is oil and gas. And so I grew up in the oil patch. My dad has an energy company. My grandfather was like a true wildcatter back in the energy uh, in the, in the boom of the eighties, uh, the seventies and the early eighties. Um, and so I saw that and I was starting to already kind of get into the idea of Bitcoin mining, the idea of Bitcoin. I was going down the rabbit hole and it was a post of Steve Barber. It was one of his tweets. Cause you know, he's the pioneer behind this. And I said, Oh my gosh, I said, that's the coolest thing ever because I've seen so many flares, uh, in my childhood and just through my life that, I was always curious, like, why, why are we wasting that? Like that, you know, that seems like that could be utilized for something. And we instantly call Steve and Steve was, you know, I'm sure he was like, why are these, you know, 20 year olds bothering me? Uh, and we flew all the way up to Canada from Texas, like the next week and rented a U-Haul cause we couldn't even rent a car and drove all the way across Canada to, uh, the place where his headquarters was at the time, which is Lloydminster. Uh, and that's in Alberta, Canada, and went and saw our first Bitcoin mine. And we basically checked the box. We said, well, this is something that can be scaled in Texas. We didn't know of anybody really doing it in Texas at the time. So I think we were one of Steve's very first customers. We bought a little box that was an MVP for us, brought it down to Texas, bootstrapped it. Like I, I think Matt had to sell Bitcoin. I had to sell like a lot of my possessions, <laughs> we went all the way in, 100% full sprinted, uh, and that's that's kind of how it started. Uh, I can get more into the details of what Giga is now uh, after this, but that's kind of the original path that we started. Right, and you guys, could you not get a rental car or something? You had to get a U-Haul up in Canada because you, were you too young or you there's some issue yeah. with renting a car? 
we couldn't we weren't even 21 yet so like matt was like a week it was a week before his 21st birthday and so matt was like man and we would have just gone up a week later and we we're like but that'd be too late that'd be too late <laughs> so <laughs> what was it that uh inspired the urgency or made it click so quickly i mean obviously your background in you know oil field and being around that for so long and matt was already a maximalist so i can understand why you know those things would have been conducive to realizing the opportunity here, but why was there such an urgency around it? I would say a few things. Um, the main thing was we knew if you could actually get energy that cheap um, and that there was that much, and keep in mind at the time gas was very, very, very cheap. So there was a lot of places that were flaring uh, and Bitcoin mining was actually multiples, you know, everything is quantified and, 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 a metric called mcf for gas and uh you know gas was probably two dollars in mcf at the time and bitcoin mining revenue was like when new gen computers was like 12 to 15 dollars in mcf so that kind of just stuck out to us at the beginning and um we knew that there would be a lot of operators in texas that would understand this but we also knew that we were realist about it that we were 21 or 20 uh and that people probably wouldn't take us serious once there was 15 competitors in the space if we didn't already have a presence, uh, just because that's that's how energy is. Energy is a very seniority-based uh, industry. It cares about maturity, and I can't blame them. Uh, it's just there's a lot of wisdom that has to be learned the hard way in energy. So we knew that was one of the big things. And then um, the, the, the second thing was is, is we both were just entrepreneurs at heart, uh, and I hate using that word. I feel like it's turned into a cheesy word in, in this world. <laughs> but but we really like we wanted to build stuff. Uh, and both of us were starting to go down Bitcoin, and Matt was already all all the way bought into it. And he was saying, you know, I've always I knew I wanted to work in Bitcoin. I just didn't know how. He's like, I think this is it. And uh, that that's that's really our main reason for our urgency. What was your career plan? You know, what were you in school for prior to this, you know, changing the course of your life, basically? You know, I'm a firm believer that a college degree is a college degree that, you know, everyone that anyone that that, that tries to hold something over your head about their degree and how it's it makes them so much smarter than you. You probably shouldn't listen to them uh, because they probably haven't been out in the real world long enough to realize that, that there's a lot of people that with no degree that are still curious about life and still figure out stuff and still understand stuff. Totally. Uh, and so I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to do something in engineering. So my degree was industrial distribution. Uh, it's a, it's a very unique degree at Texas A&M. It's like a, um, it's basically like a sales engineering degree. And what it does is it's a degree that does part finance, part, uh, mechanical part electrical like part patrolling like you, you take a class in almost every single sector and the 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 whole point of it is that you're a jack of all trades master of none and i knew that if i did that i'd probably figure out what i wanted to do after that i knew i probably wanted to go into something with the energy industry just given my family's background uh but little did i know that it'd lead to bitcoin mining right so take me up so you have this kind of epiphany you guys go up to alberta you buy a hash hut. Steve, I think if I recall from a, another interview I heard of yours kind of said like, 
you may not want to do this. I don't know if these things are tested for the environment that you guys want to put it in yet. And you guys were like, don't care. Take our money. We're taking this thing with us, you know, one way or the other. And you come back down to Texas and then what happens? Yeah, well, it wasn't even a hash hut. It, this was the OG days. This was the ohm units. So oh, you have right, to look right, it up right. later. They're not even they're not even hash huts back then. They weren't hash huts back then. It's it's uh it was literally a little white box, uh like four by four. We took it back, um had a we had a gas well. Keep in mind it was relatively easy to find a well to plug into at that time because there's two things. One, nobody had ever done this, and two the unit we bought used so little gas. It was only 50 kilowatts, you know, but that was like all, we were so proud of it. Like it, it looked like a <laughs> UFO when it came in. We were like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> we spent the whole weekend uh, setting it up and my God, was there a lot to learn? <laughs> like we, with everything that we needed to figure out, uh, we had to figure out the hard way, which is good looking back. We learned a lot. But uh, we got it running that the hard, weekend. What was the hard? What, what was the hard way? Did you like destroy some ASICs or like what? What? What happened? Luckily, we didn't destroy any ASICs. That wasn't a problem. Uh, I would say probably networking. That was something that you know we we started figuring out really quickly. Cellular modem. Um, that one that nothing moves on the weekend. You know, because we were trying to set this up on the weekend and every single like. All the sales rep, we were sales reps we were dealing with, they weren't responding. Nobody was responding. Uh, the only one that was responding was Steve, and he was like extremely helpful. Um, <laughs> of course, and yeah, no, he was awesome. So that that was probably the main thing, and that sounds like such a small thing, but and that's what we'll talk about today is is the the concept of flare gas Bitcoin mining sounds pretty straightforward and easy, and it, to a point it is, but the little things are where people spend days and weeks and just tons of money is spent over figuring out such small problems. Uh, and I think that that's something that a lot of people take for granted uh, before they go into this space. And so, first of all, where did you get the gas well? Like, is there just a, a, a sales directory somewhere around you guys where, you know, you can see ones that are for sale or for lease and you guys, all right, the price is right or the energy capacity on that one is good for what we're looking for and you broker a deal? Yeah, no. So it was <laughs> luck. Unfortunately, at the time, there wasn't like myflaregas.com or something like that, <laughs> where everybody, you know, a little, a little Craigslist for flare gas. Um, we knew people in the space because I, I had spent a lot of my time every single summer during the weekends when I would come home, I would be working for my dad and for service companies in the area. Uh, so I did know a pretty vast network in the area. And just through asking around uh, and my dad helping us ask around, we did find one producer that would take the bet on us at the time. So that that was our very, very first unit. That's that's how we came about it. How many ASICs were, could fit in the, the, the ohm that you bought from Steve? Yeah, it was only 35. So 35. And it was 35 right. S9s. This was like S... It was only S seventeens, S nineteens that never came out. So I think S seventeens had just came out when we were doing this. Right. And so how much money did you guys have to sink into giving this a whirl? Yeah, it was it was right at fifty thousand uh, dollars. and that was a lot of money for us. I mean that well, that's still a lot of money to me. That's that's a, that's over two Bitcoin right now. Uh, <laughs> but that um 
that was a lot of money. And we, <laughs> a lot, my parents asked me a couple of times, they were like, are you sure about this? Like, you're really going into this one. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure about this. Uh, so it was a true, true bootstrap. Yeah. All right. So take me through the process of getting up and running. You say, I interrupted you. You say you had, you kind of encountered a lot of, you learned the hard way, but bring me to production. Sweet, sweet uh, Bitcoin the, production. The Bitcoin production of it running? Yeah. What about it specifically? Well, like bring me, we were, we were going through the story about how you guys found the well and you started, you know, trying to hook everything up. So when did it all click and you got it up and running and everything was working as it was supposed to and you, you start generating Bitcoin income? Yeah. So we got it in on a Friday. Uh, we It was just a Canadian trucker that drove it in on like a, a gooseneck trailer. Uh, we unloaded it in my, my parents' backyard, poor things. And we set it up and brought it out on a trailer and got it running on Sunday. So it took, took about 36 hours. It wasn't too bad. Once it was running, that thing ran perfect. Uh, we had no problems with it. The generator Steve rebuilt was great. The box worked great. Uh, but we also knew that shipping stuff from Canada long-term probably wasn't going to be a feasible business model, uh, as well as we, again, we were realist about this and knew that we had to have a competitive advantage to, you know, I couldn't walk into a space and say, yeah, I've been in the oil field for 30 years of my life, right? I've been working for these pubcos for 30 years. Like we were young guys. So that's when we started working on developing the actual product, uh, especially because we were going to retrofit them to be specific for Texas. You know, uh, a lot of, a lot of Steve stuff had like heat recirculation and stuff like that for up North. And we just don't need that. Uh, so as soon as we had that one running, we knew that we wanted to start building our own product, whether it was generators and data centers. Uh, and we also knew we needed more money. So, <laughs> That's, that's where we left it. We started knocking down doors uh, and started trying to just reverse engineer, like reading Bitcoin talk forums, reading like generator talk forums, the whole nine yards. Uh, work. We would shadow mechanics in, in our area, just trying to understand uh, the, the entire process of all the equipment we were dealing with. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll come, we'll get into that in a little bit more detail in a moment. But so... You, you have the gas well, you, the gas well, uh, I guess, spits out, uh, there's a process to turn that into fuel for a generator. The generator powers the ASICs inside the, the enclosure, right? Um, when that's up and running, right? You guys step back, you ever, like the ASICs are humming along the, the, it's being powered by the, the well, like what's the initial reaction to that when you both just step back, look at each other and be like, holy shit, we're making Bitcoin off natural gas well right here. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was very like a sci-fi feeling. It, it was, <laughs> it's so weird. Cause, cause you know, we had pine trees all around us. We were in the middle of nowhere, uh, on this just rock pad location that I'd been to before to do work. And I, I just thought of it as an oil site. And at this point in time, it was no longer an oil site to me. It was a Bitcoin mining site. Uh, of course, the S9s, you know, they had so many glowing green lights. They don't have 
uh, as many anymore on like some of these newer units. Uh, but the whole thing just glowed green. And so that was the coolest part because it was like the sun was starting to go down. You could hear it running. Matt and I couldn't stop smiling. Um, <laughs> it was kind of, but this, it's the same thing. It wasn't just like, wow, this was so easy. It was kind of like a, oh, we got it running. <laughs> right. So, uh, but it, it was a very exciting day. And so how quickly, I mean, you, you just mentioned that you kind of recognized very early that you guys didn't want to only just buy equipment and find wells and mine Bitcoin, but you wanted to basically provide the, the sticks and the, the axes and the shovels for, a, you know, an emerging industry. How quickly did that take shape? And I know there was a, there was a CNBC or, or something piece that uh, profiled you guys, or you, you guys were kind of a prominent aspect of the story. And I think the salacious or the, uh, you know, the capture, the clickbaity headline was, you know, a bunch of young kids mine $4 million of Bitcoin, you know, off natural gas or something like that. What part, when in the journey did that story kick off and, and how much did it influence things, if at all? Yeah. So 2020 was uh, a pretty slow roll. So that was 2019 that we put on Steve's unit. Uh, 2020, we were, I mean, we were just, sprinting and then as we all know the the covid uh the wuhan flu came about and that knocked everything down of course energy was energy providers were not worried about flares at the time they were worried about how do i you know how do i keep from going bankrupt um bitcoin fell down to like three i think 3600 right there at the at the peak of covid or right when it started um so that slowed things up a lot where we actually didn't ship in our containers until like the end of May. And there was the boxes that we were going to build the containers. And we knew that it was probably going to be hard to get capital at the time. Um, so we found a few people to do like a, a, a smaller unit. Uh, it was only going to be uh, 350 kilowatts. And we just took the time. We were waiting to find the gas. So we just started slowly building the container ourselves. There really wasn't a super big rush on getting it out the door just because the whole world was still frozen. Uh, but we really like, but during COVID, I watched YouTube about electricity. I watched YouTube about generators. I went and like shadowed people. Like I owe a lot of credit to YouTube. Um, but we just took that time to learn, you know, and, I, and that's what I always tell people is I feel like so many people, they, they watched every single show on Netflix during COVID. Uh, and, and I didn't turn that on. Like we were like, this is a time where everyone's bunkered down. Uh, my competitors uh, that were capitalized at the time, which weren't that many, you know, we knew that they probably weren't moving super fast at the time. So we took that time to learn. We were literally welding on the containers. We were cutting the containers out. We had neighbors helping us, um, just trying to start sourcing equipment, understanding the best places to source equipment. Uh, the whole thing didn't get deployed until October of 2020. That gives you an idea. So the whole thing being long, this, this next site that you the, guys the built the container yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah, the 350 kilowatt unit didn't get deployed till October. So literally May to October is what it took to do our first one. Uh, and we did probably everything wrong in that first container you can think of. But it was it was even more. You were asking about like our excitement when we turned on our first unit. Oh my 
God, when we turned on our first unit we built, that's just a different feeling, right? Uh, and I felt like the, you know, like you see like in the movies where like the, the kids draw like the awful art for like someone and like the parents are like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And like <laughs> they, everyone around you knows it's just crap. That's how I felt like everyone was looking at our box because it was, it was crap. But when I looked at it, man, it was shiny. It had chrome aluminum paint on it like it was it was it was awesome it was like the best you could get um and so we were more excited about that one than anything that was october we didn't find that gas contract through like my network we found it through uh the process of 2020 we were beating down doors and just meeting producers meeting operators and we did find a group and found a whole area that had stranded gas uh, that was October of 2020. Uh, things started moving a lot quicker than that. So you're asking about, you know, when was our, <laughs> that was such a cheesy headline. Uh, but when was our like year that we really like took off? And I would say that was end of October. Um, we started putting on that unit. We put on another unit in December, put on another unit in January. Uh, and then 2020, I mean, 2021, we really, one, the bull market happened. So things, everything just that we had running just paid off so fast. Uh, and then we were just constantly putting on hash rate uh, all of early 2021. Uh, and, and then really, really all of 2021, we were just constantly deploying hash rate. What was it like getting ASICs and other equipment for these uh, sites during that time? Because I know, you know, so the big story was supply chains were somewhat stuffed up. You know, it really wasn't too terribly bad. Um, I do remember there was like a, there was a point in time in which um, I would say that was probably April, maybe, no, it wasn't April. It's more like March, March of 2021. There was, every broker was telling you, hey, you know, I, we're afraid that there's not going to be any more. Uh, so we, we did buy some, some extras and we actually bought some uh, extra units. Uh, we probably overbought looking back. It probably wasn't the smartest idea, but the, 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 the entire group that we were all kind of working with, we purchased a bunch of miners in January of 2021. And that actually like brought us all the way through like March and April. Um, just deploying those computers because we got them at a really the ASICs. We got them at a really, really cheap deal. And then by the time that like April, May, June timeframe rolled around, uh, you were seeing ASIC prices drop a lot just because of the, the Chinese ban on Bitcoin mining. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what was the, how did the, the CNBC coverage come about and what was the result for you guys afterwards? Like, did it yeah, boost, so that you know, interest in you guys? That wasn't until 2022. Uh, that was early uh, 2022. That was February. And that was an interview that we did uh, that, you know, looking back, I'm glad we did the interview. We were at an energy conference called NAEP. Uh, NAEP is a conference they have every year in Houston, Texas. It's like the, the big oil and gas conference in the world. Uh, but there was a lot of talk about Bitcoin. And one of the talks was actually about Giga, our company, at one of the Bitcoin mining, you know, speakers, uh, speaking sessions. And so she pulled me to the side, did an interview. That was a huge article for us. I'm not going to lie. Like, 
that's one of the things that I will say that I've learned from this is like media exposure. If you're trying to build a brand is one of the best things you can get Uh, because we'd already had a few articles go out like Matt had tweeted in early 2021, a, a photo of Bitcoin mining that the number one climate change activist in the world found and just destroy. I mean, just like, it was bad. They're like, this is disgusting. Uh, and what it, what we, re- that was our first, ex- our, our like our first feeling of, of media exposure and the term, like any publicity is good publicity because we started having, I mean, we had death threats. We had people like, it's just what? everything you could think about the, the, all, all the stereotypes for this extreme climate activists that are just, you know, just honestly, just crazy about life. Uh, the way they handle life, they were, they were reaching out and and writing us letters and stuff like that. But at the same time, I was like, oh my god, this is horrible. And then within a week, we were we were getting Vice articles. We were getting you know, uh, the Independent reached out to it. like all these people, news companies reached out to us, Bloomberg. And I was like, oh well, you know, I think I'm going to send the next Twitter post to this guy again and be like, hey, like you know, you don't know me, but uh, you 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 kind of you kind of dogged on our company. Could you, could you talk bad about us again, please? It really helped us. Uh, and the CNBC article, that was actually a very positive article. So it was just even more exponential of like the, the exposure that, that it gave us. Uh, people were reaching out from all over. Uh, I mean, from any walk of life you can think of, people were reaching out. It was a Saturday morning. I'll never forget it. I woke up and... I, I'd like brought up that I didn't really want like a cheesy article. I mean, a cheesy headline. It, we, don't get me wrong. Mackenzie Sagala, she's the one that wrote the article. She's awesome. She's probably one of the, like the most informed, uh, writers in the space for Bitcoin. Uh, one of the most informed journalists. And I told her that, but I woke up and I read that headline and I like literally people had texted me, texted it to me. And this was at eight 30 in the morning. And I was like, Oh God. I was like, Matt's not going to like this one. So I called Matt. I said, well, (laughs) the article came out. The headline's pretty cheesy. I'm not going to lie. And he read it. He said, oh, God. And I said, well, I said, you know what? I said, maybe it just, you know, maybe it it won't go super far. I said, maybe it just won't get spread everywhere. Because at the time, we were like, this is really cheesy. Uh, They said, I said, maybe it won't get spread super far. Then I opened my CNBC app. And I looked at it and it said trending articles. And we were the number one trending article on CNBC. I said, well, this wow. is it's probably, it's probably going to get shared around a lot. Like I said, this is probably ain't going to work out. And so at that point in time, we we're just like, let's own it. And it ended up actually being a great, great exposure for us. Uh, probably for the next solid month, any meeting that I had, you know, I would introduce myself and, and the oil producers would be like, I know who you are. Uh, you know, I was sent this article 20 times and I don't even care about Bitcoin. So I'd say it did a lot with helping us establish credibility in the space, people recognizing who we were. And and what was the headline just for everyone listening who may not have seen it? Because I, I can't remember it precisely. Yeah, it was uh, it was like these 23 year olds made four million dollars mining Bitcoin last year. What's I mean? What's so bad about that? I know it's a bit, uh, you know, bit, you know clickbaity, but everyone likes yeah, I, young I guess money. That's what I'd say. Yeah, I mean, like, this. I guess it's a clickbaity part. It's like I, I, I see, 
I scroll through Instagram and I see people with the with the Rolex, with the NFTs, and like they're like, learn how to trade and get rich like me. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, like people are gonna think I'm some like <laughs> right, right, <laughs> they're gonna right. think I'm one of those guys. So but I don't no one took it like that. It ended up being totally fine. And where did that um, like was that accurate to that point? Had you guys you know, did she take, you know, you, where did she get that information? The journalist? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of truth was stretched there. Uh, I mean, we, we don't get me wrong. We've done very well as a company. Uh, but like <laughs> we, we don't really give out numbers, uh, as our company. So like things were like, just that, I, that was probably a lot of the problem as well Is like, you know, we didn't hand her over like a balance sheet document right. and, and that's right. where we were like, well, like, you know, like, why would you, why, why would you say these certain, like there were certain things and, you know, there was a lot of truth to the article, but definitely what I've noticed with every single article that's ever been written about us is you can say something and it's going to be stretched really far. Um, mm. but I, we, we did really well in 2021. That's what I would say. Yeah. So was it, was it something like, you know, she just did the calculation based on how much hash rate you guys have, you know, or that you informed her about something like that. Yeah. But back of the hand, napkin math, you know, right. Right. Uh, Journalism, baby. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would say. <laughs> Journalism. Um, so, you know, after, aftermath of that, where you guys have that, you guys get that exposure where is the company in terms of what it's most focused on in the stage of development? Because you, you're on this road now of both self-mining and engineering field equipment for deployments for sale, right? So kind of where are you guys at in terms of uh, the tech and the products that you're able to offer and, and how, I mean, how much uh, requests or inquiries did you get as a result of the article? Yeah, we got a lot of requests from the article. Uh, I would say the article did more of just establishing who we were uh, for people not in the Bitcoin space. People in the actual Bitcoin space, a lot of them, like Bitcoin mining specific, I mean, a lot of them already knew us. Uh, Matt post tweets of every single one of our units. Uh, that we were deploying and, and, you know, mo most of them. And, uh, we were already kind of showing like our product we were building. I would say we really started getting our credit, bit, like people's really started reaching out for us, and, like for our actual, like wanting to buy our stuff. Because at that time we started selling data centers and generators. Um, and one step back on that, that the reason we waited till then to start selling it was because we were already using it for ourselves. And we felt like we didn't want to just be a product company until we had a product like somewhat perfected. Um, and we really didn't want to be a product company at all. We just wanted to stack sats. We started realizing there was a demand for this because we would have people reach out to us asking about, you know, data centers and stuff like that. Uh, and we were like, you know, this product People want this product because we've used it in the oil field. It's tested in the oil field. So let's let's just start selling these pro th these units. Uh, we went to a conference. We, we'd already sold a couple units just from like word of mouth, people reaching out. Went to a, a conference called Empower uh, that was in Houston in March of 2022. 
And that's what really started spurring a lot of our sales. Uh, and we just started growing, growing, growing with sales. Uh, that's kind of, I, I would say the CNBC article gave us the credit for it uh, of like people knew who we were, people had heard about us, but actually getting to come touch and feel our product was where people really started uh, word of mouth started getting around and people started recommending us. Yeah. Is there, you don't have to give me specific numbers, but is there a breakdown for the business in terms of you, you know, how much of your effort or operation is devoted to your own deployments, right? So brokering your own deals with your own equipment on sites versus selling equipment. And do you see kind of it developing one way or the other more in the future? Yeah, that's actually a great question. I would say it's, it's not really a static number. Uh, it's definitely dynamic, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sliding scale. Uh, one, one month, it may be really, really heavy on sales. Uh, it may be a hundred percent on sales, honestly. Uh, one month, maybe zero sales, a hundred percent deployment. Uh, I'd say if you averaged it out, it's probably, you know, 35% sales, uh, 40% sales, and then 60%, you know, deployment, you know, the, the majority of this year we've been working on our deployments, uh, long-term, we don't really want to be a super, super big product company. That's, we recognize that, uh, that's a big, big job on its own. And, and there's a lot of money to be made there, but that's not the mission we set out to do. The mission we set out to do was to mine Bitcoin, uh, was stranded in flare gas. So, the reason that we, one of the big reasons that we do the sales is there is, there's always going to be downtime during any, any deployment you do, right? So you finish your deployment. It's not like there's just five waiting behind it. And sometimes, sometimes there is like a, a backlog and that's the best thing you can have, but to be able to deploy as fast as we want to and be able to deploy as cheap as we want to, uh, we knew that we needed to go the route of vertical integration, but we also knew that we couldn't just have people on payroll doing nothing, waiting for our next deployment. And so with that and given the demand for the product, what we do is, is, is our whole goal of product is merely to kind of smooth out that, that, that line of just working hard no work for the, for our shops, mm. like super, a lot of work for our shops, no work for our shops. And it basically just takes the, the in-betweens of, of downtime and allows us to like have like a constant workflow for our shop. Right. Does that make sense? And the, yeah, totally. And the, the, the product that you guys sell today is basically meant to be kind of a turnkey package for someone who has access to a well site to generate electricity, host ASICs and all the the wires and plugins they need to basically get started right away. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's our goal is <laughs> we have learned. So, there's so many little things. When you look at our box, we've had people call us back and they said, I get it now. When you look at our box initially, it looks like a box. It just looks like a regular data center box. But when you get out and deploy it, you realize there's a lot of little things that we've done to our equipment and added to our product that was from learning experience, like experiences and learning in the off-grid uh, industry. And our goal was is to like 
we figured out these problems. Let's build a product that people don't have to figure out the problems and retrofit it. Uh, because that's, that's how a lot of data centers are for off-grid applications. You end up having to retrofit certain stuff. So that's, that's kind of the, the goal that we had behind it. Uh, it comes with all the power cables. It comes with all the port switches. It comes with all the stuff that you, that a, a lot of people that they're doing this first time, there's a lot of stuff that you don't realize you need to order, you know, the DLO cable that goes between the generator and the data center, like, uh, remote control cap capabilities for the generator. Like, uh, one of the biggest things for us is the batteries. I can't tell you, we do two battery boxes on our generators and people, most people would say, well, that's, that doesn't really make sense. You know, why do you need two separate battery boxes? But through the experience of running this in an off-grid application, I can't tell you how much Bitcoin we've lost because we've had a generator go down and the batteries are dead. And mm. we, we have a charger that charges it, but the batteries are just dead. And those are like the little nuances that we try to do. And that's why I think it's really attracted a lot of people to our product. But our boxes are not, our boxes are energy agnostic. I mean, they can be ran anywhere. Uh, we sell a lot of boxes to on-grid applications. Uh, we, they literally, we just, we had one that was just set up near a wind form. Uh, so, I mean, we've, we've seen it in renewable space, we've seen it in grid space, uh, and then primarily in off-grid space. Yeah. And, and we'll touch on that in just one second, but so you're learning from your own deployments, all the different things you want to integrate into the product that, that you end up selling and then you engineer it. And, and, and I presume it comes with some sort of software to, you know, to manage everything or is that a wrong yeah. assumption? No, no, that's, uh, so as far as like a complete custom software from Giga, uh, to like manage every single aspect of it. No. Uh, because that's one thing we try not to be as a complete software company having to have a full-time it department. Uh, because one thing I will say and this is the biggest thing is don't, I see so many engineers come into this space that just go all out on every single thing with their Bitcoin deployment. And our whole view is, is, is like, guys, like it's still making the same amount of hash rate. Don't overcomplicate this, like have the stuff you need, but don't over-engineer this box. Like you, <laughs> this works, this works. Don't, don't go buy the most expensive stuff because capital like CapEx is everything. Uh, and that's our whole thing is, is we need smart PDUs. We need to be able to turn off the computers remotely. We need to turn them back on. Uh, we don't use VFDs on our fans. That's that basically allows you to like speed up, slow down the the fans based on the temperature in the box. Where most of our stuff is in really hot applications, it's just it's just extra money that both of us are going to have to spend. That's not going to be necessary. Uh, as far as the, the generator goes, uh, we need a remote application for our generator to be able to start and stop the generator and monitor it remotely. And that's pretty much it. Our, our smart PDUs do integrate with Foreman. Uh, so we typically tell people if they need software, uh, go, go do Foreman. So I don't know if you're familiar with Foreman, but highly recommend it. It's a new, new group. Uh, it's a minor management software that basically you, you, I haven't actually deployed one with it. Uh, I've just seen our, all of our, our IT guys do it. It's it's basically what he ends up with is you can see the, the actual shelves. You, you build your racks 
And so you can see these little blocks. And what it is, is you can actually create a block for each individual miner uh, where you can remote remote monitor all of them so easily uh, and know exactly where that computer is, where it's more of just like, hey, like it's this one, that one. And then it's 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 like a grid view, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a long winded answer, but but we try to stay away from software, but we definitely realize that there are certain things that you still have to have for for the container and how much on-site management or check-ins does like an operation like this using all of your gear from the generator to the box and all that stuff require yeah i mean i would say most of your applications almost every single person that i've dealt with they have their pumpers go out and check you know, the side, the, the, so every single oil well, I should probably take a step back and explain that every single oil well has something called an oil pumper. Mm-hmm. He goes out and he checks the oil well every day and he makes sure that there's no leaks. He makes sure that the, uh, a lot of times he gauges the tanks and see what the tank, the tank levels are. Uh, and just, he is, that is his job is to make sure everything's running smoothly at that facility. A lot of times the pumpers get paid a little extra and they turn into what's what we call a Bitcoin pumper. Uh, and they go out and they just check, you know, hey, is this generator leaking any oil? Is, you know, is some, is a fan broken? Is there anything that like doesn't seem to be working fine? Uh, other than that, as far as like actually going in the unit and needing to work on anything, you really don't need to. Uh the miners, you know, if there's a minor failure, which that's not really on Giga, that's that's on your on your computer, that would be something you know they'd have to go fix. But th- that's the whole reason for the remote management software is we realize that this is in the middle of nowhere, so you're probably going to need the capabilities. Like I- anytime someone has to drive out there, that's a lot of money spent. So having that ability to just remote power stuff, um, I would say the whole thing is relatively hands-off. We have some sites that we may go, you know, weeks uh, without having to touch a single thing. So Um, ballpark, you know, and I know these are kind of modular so you can stack them together and there's different sizes, but if I'm someone that has a well or another energy resource, and we'll talk about that in a sec, but what kind of, ballpark costs are we considering here for everything needed to turn, you know, waste gas or stranded energy or an energy resource into Bitcoin via the method that you guys provide? Well, I can tell you the infrastructure costs uh, because at the end of the day, and I'll I'll tell you like a, like a napkin math of the all in cost, because at the end of the day, your uh, ASICs vary largely in cost, uh, depending on what generation of ASICs you run. But, off-grid mining is more capital intensive than uh, grid mining, for sure, 100%. Anyone that tells you otherwise doesn't understand it. You're looking um, at, I would say, somewhere around infrastructure-wise, infrastructure wise, probably $650,000 a megawatt is what I would say. Uh, I would say grid grid operations are probably anywhere from you know 250 to 400 uh, per megawatt, uh, all in with the, with the ASICs at the pricing right now, I'd say you'd probably be looking at like $1.3 million per megawatt, uh, on a well site to get it up and running. 
Right. And so the economic calculation here, or the reason why you'd go for one or the other is because you have a off-grid resource, you know, and it's still with this, the economics still work out, even if they're more advantageous for a grid resource. Are you saying like, you know, why do people spend more money for an off-grid application versus a grid application? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's our big thing that we get asked a lot of questions about. And we love explaining this. It's a trade-off uh, that you're spending CapEx, you're spending more CapEx to have lower long-term OpEx. Uh, our belief is that Bitcoin mining is an OpEx game. And you're seeing that right now. I mean, you're seeing margins get pinched. You're seeing like hosters getting a bind. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But yeah. uh, you're all in cost of power if you're running an off-grid application. Uh, it's probably two cents or less, depending on what you're paying for the gas. So you're sub two cent power uh, that you get to deploy like that. And the difference is a lot of these on-grid applications, they take years to get put online, right? Unless they have direct access to a substation that a utility company has allowed them to use, or unless they're able to piggyback off of someone else's infrastructure, uh, like a private substation, then they're going to have to get in a, on a, in a line and they're going to have to wait and it's it's a long, long drawn out process. Uh, and so Matt always calls it your discounted hash flows, right? It's like, what's the present value of a hash? And that's our biggest reasoning for that is, is one, you now also own these assets, right? So you own this generator, uh, you own the data center. Um, so it's, it's, I'd say it's, it's a little bit more expensive than like a, like an on-grid application. Uh, but you're, your cost per kilowatt hour just goes down so, so much. And we can talk about that in a minute about like how much it is right now, because it's actually never been higher than it is right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about that? Because there's yeah. a lot has been made in the last little while about uh, the large public miners and their integration with grids and how they've, uh, you know, cooperated to help, I guess, balance load. And then there's the, the economic, um, you know, the economic arrangement that they have, which in some cases have allowed on-grid miners to uh, profit way more than they otherwise would just mining Bitcoin with, you know, a certain rate energy. And so, yeah, let's, let's, let's dig into that. What, what you wanted to explore there. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a great, great concept. Um, as far as like grid go, grid balancing goes, demand response goes, and I think there's definitely a use case for it. Uh, I do think that some of the, I do think that some of the reasons for uh, there's like two there's like two ways to look at it. There's like grid balancing in the sense of like uh, demand and off peak demand and stuff like that because. Mm -hmm. humans don't utilize a constant flow of energy. Uh, and then there's the idea that like Bitcoin mining incentivizes renewables. Uh, I'm not, I think it's a great concept. I'm not as bought into the second one just because to me, I think that that you're, you know, basically what you're saying is, is that it's inefficient. It's not a base load of power and it's going to uh, like Bitcoin mining can come in and basically, you know, Bitcoin mining taking cheap subsidized power by the government is going to improve the grid. And it's like, well, you know, but 
I don't care what anyone says. A, a lot of a lot of power is subsidized on the grid. Uh, you see wind power and solar power go negative all the time, uh, and it's like great. So people are able to come in and get behind the meter and take you know negative power. But why is it you know why is it negative, right? And and no one would ever if if you had a coal or natural gas plant, you would never sell power for like pay people to take your power. But when you have wind and solar and you get carbon credits, you're able to like any, any amount of like Delta between like your call, like your revenue of carbon credits and your cost in which you're actually paying people to take your power is still a spread that you're making on that energy. So they'll run it down certain times of the day into the negatives because they're still making that spread on the carbon credit. And to me, it's like, that's, that's not efficient. You know, that's not Mm. sustainable long-term. Uh, now we can the idea of saying um, Bitcoin mining can help offtake of like you have a substation and that substation can now be utilizing power a hundred percent at a hundred percent utilization rate. So if it's a twenty meg substation, it can run at twenty megawatts all the time and any time that uh, commercial like industrial applications or residential applications need that power, they're able to power down. And mm-hmm. I think that is a great world that uh, has a lot of use cases. Uh, the problem that we're seeing right now, though, John, is we're in an energy crisis. And I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. Uh, everyone compliments ERCOT as being the cheapest place for power. Go go look at what a, 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 a 60-month power contract is at ERCOT. It's, it's like $0.08. Cents. It's like $0.09. Cents. Uh, electricity prices are, are extremely high right now. And, uh, yes, you have CLR that can offset that. Uh, but you know, going down that rabbit hole, we're seeing a lot of uh, the numbers that people are saying you can get for CLR right now, uh, as like a hedge and the numbers that you can actually get for CLR are two, two separate things. What's CLR? Uh, uh, CLR is controllable load resource. So it's an ancillary program in which, uh, basically you get called on, you power down, and you get paid a certain amount per kilowatt hour, a certain amount of revenue that ends up being a certain amount per kilowatt hour uh, on a monthly basis. That is a reward basically saying like you have enrolled st- saying that you can shut down. And then if you do shut down, you get paid for uh, your, your, like your time to shut down. So basically, mm-hmm. if you're block price is, is, is eight cents per kilowatt hour and, uh, power goes to over eight cents, then you're going to power down and you're going to start selling that block. But CLR can actually require you to shut down. And that's how like some of these people, some of these miners have made a ton of money. It was like the winter storm of ERCOT, uh, like the hot summer heat wave that we had where power was just getting, you know, hundred, you know, thousands of dollars per megawatt hour during certain times of the day people are able to sell that uh sell that power back to the grid uh and i I think that's a great application it's 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 great because you're technically a virtual power plant is the way to think of it it's like you're Mm -hmm. always consuming that power so there is power being pushed on the grid all the time for that power and you're saying that you'll turn off at any point in time uh the issue is is that's great in concept but if your CLR is based on 
what your current, like the monthly rate is of power. So if you locked in a power contract at like nine cents or eight cents for like four years right now, and power went down, say that natural gas prices came way down and power went down, and you can then lock in power two years from now uh, at three cents, right? So like it drops like more than 50%. Then your CLR is that ancillary program of what you get paid, it fluctuates month to month. And so now you're going to have people that you're going to be locked in on a, you're going to be locked in on a nine cent power contract and say CLR at the time is like three cents. So it brings you down to six cents or something like that. Well, if power at two years from now is, is three cents, then CLR may only be one cent. So now you're still stuck at nine cents and you're only getting a one cent reduction in your cost per kilowatt hour. And so your margins are just getting squeezed uh, really, really, really bad. Um, so that's why a lot of people right now, uh, they don't really talk about it, but most people aren't head, like locking into long-term power purchase agreements uh, on ERCOT or anything. I know a lot of huge grid miners that are trading real-time index. And what that means, because I'll explain that as well, is you can either yeah. hedge out power which means you're going to pay more long term, but you are locking in a power rate, uh, so that you basically be uh, long power. Uh, or you can trade real time price, which means whatever the power price is today during that 15 minute interval that you're consuming power, you pay at that rate. And because power is so high, I'd say most people are trading spot, waiting for power prices to come back down or for contracts to get better. And so what they're having to do is they're having to run during certain periods of the day that power's cheap because power does change in price throughout the day. You know, it's it's simple supply and demand. And they're changing the they're they're running during periods of the day and then they're shutting off during the the high periods of the day. And what they what that does is it brings them to a blended cost per per megawatt mm-hmm. hour, right? So if you're off and then you're running at you know, two cent power, then your average comes out to like four cent power. So that's the, I don't know that if you're, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Makes makes perfect sense. So you're you're basically, go go ahead. uh, Yeah. You're basically just saying, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You either have the choice of locking in a certain rate long-term if the rate changes, then, you know, it can benefit you or it can screw you depending on which way the rate goes, or you can just pay spot, but it means you're going to be constantly kind of navigating the change in the price to make sure that you're at the little, the sweet spot that most benefits you, which means sometimes you're going to be full throttle. Other times you're going to be powering down depending on the spot rate. Right. Um, and so this is, you know, so those are two different approaches that, that, uh, I guess different, uh, miners are opting to take a couple questions on that though. One, why is in a place like Texas and with ERCOT, which is is praised as being like, you know, the, the freest market for energy, why is there, and, you know, all this renewable build out and lots of miners in there, you know, and the controllable load benefit and stuff like that. And, you know, Riot is, has re, uh, received a lot of fanfare, I think, for that very reason that you, or that very situation that you just articulated, which was they made a boatload of money by, you know, basically powering down over the course of July or August or whatever it was. Uh, Why is a market that is so free and open like ERCOT is, why is there an energy crisis happening there? Is it just because of what's going on broadly in the world or is there inefficiencies that are still, 
hamstringing it to some degree. Yeah, I would say it's just demand for natural gas. I mean, uh, electricity in most places is a function, you know, it's, it's a fun, it's the electricity pricing in, in most areas is a function calculated off of a natural gas price. So uh, that's, you know, it, if you look at block pricing, it's typically going to track Henry Hub, which is <clears throat> the R market for natural gas. Uh, and so that's, I guess that was the point I'm trying to get across is uh, grid mining is great in concept, but you're seeing a lot of slowdown right now. And it's because we're in a period of time that we're in a bear market. Hash price is dead. We went below seven, but went below eight cents the other day. So S19 pros were grossing like $10 a megawatt hour. If you're locked in at a seven, eight cent power contract, you're making a two cent spread, right? If you're hosting at uh, seven to eight cents, you're making a two to three cent spread. If you run the numbers on that, that's a if you bought an S19 today, that's not that's not factoring in the people that bought S19s at ten thousand dollars a pop and they're still servicing debt at eighteen percent interest that they borrowed on. Uh, that's if you bought S19 today, that that spread is still like a four year payback period. I mean, it's 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 outrageously long, especially mm. when you factor in the the lifespan of this hardware and the iterations of this hardware. Right? You know, four years ago was twenty eighteen. S9s were like the best computers out there. I don't even know if S, uh, S17s have maybe just started coming out, but that was that was like S9 territory. Now you S9s are, are paperweights, you know? You could use it as a coaster on your table or something, right? Like you're not going to run. You're going to lose money if you run it. So that's what I think is, is causing so much traction to off-grid mining right now is the, the, it's a bloodbath for anybody that's purchasing power that's not stranded and Mm -hmm. that's that's why i would say uh i tell people all the time my business model our our business model of giga actually flourishes the best during times like this and the reason is is because people can't justify capital cost and the electricity cost of uh on-grid applications right now and building out a billion dollar mining form or a hundred million dollar mining form. Uh, but we can justify building all day long because our cost per kilowatt hour is so much below what the industry average is right now. And so when you look at that and you look at saying, okay, when, when S19s are grossing um, 40 cents per kilowatt hour in a bull market, the difference, the margin, like the difference between having two cent power and five cent power is doesn't seem like a lot, right? Like people are like, I'm just going to plug in. I'm just going to plug in. Like you have to pay too much capex on the off grid side to get the two cent power. It's only a three cent difference. But now, when your computers are grossing eight to ten cents per kilowatt hour, that two to five cent difference is huge, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it, in a lot of ways, it's really what sends stuff over the edge for a lot of these people. Uh, and I think that's why you're going to see so much traction move to off grid in the in the near future. It's just because the the I don't think I don't think this energy crisis is going to get better. I think that this is this one's going to be a wild one. And it's it's you ask what it's based off of. It's to me, it's based off of global demand. I mean, natural gas prices in Europe are so expensive right now. We are maxed out on LNG uh, exports. Uh, and at the same time, a lot of 
a lot of refineries shut down during COVID and people are saying, Oh, this is, you know, this is the, the energy company's fault. They, they're not, they're not producing natural gas. They're not producing oil like they should be. They don't realize what kind of work goes into getting this hydrocarbon out of the ground and getting energy to your house. And a lot of these inter- energy companies, they absolutely, they, they shut down uh, certain refineries during COVID because why would they build out and upgrade infrastructure that's like a 20, 30 year payout when governments are wanting to completely eliminate their whole industry in the next 10 years? I mean, you can't blame these guys for saying, like, I'm not going to invest a ton of my capital. Like, there's too much risk, you know? Is it even going to be worth it in 15 years? So yeah. what that's caused is, is this whole ESG movement has caused this this energy uh, shortage that I think is just going to continue getting worse in the near future. Let's focus on that for a second, because I think that's, if we're talking about uh, the reasons why you might mine off grid versus on it's and to your point about you know the regulatory landscape being so uncertain and even adversarial toward you know traditional oil and gas energy producers these days and that uncertainty making them extremely and rightly apprehensive about investing money for the future and then of course we wind up in a situation like this where the reliable cheap energy that we need has been so disincentivized and regulated away that we don't have it and you know here we are in a a bureaucratic nightmare and that that's the situation that the bureaucrats often produce but you my, can't but, make this uh, up <laughs> <laughs> exactly but the i i what what's sounding like is one of the huge benefits of mining off grid is yes maybe you have an initial a uh, higher uh, capex but you're so much more in control of all the different uh, elements and economics of your operation you know so as, as we've been discussing if you're on grid and even if you've got a sweet deal or a power purchase agreement with whomever, you know, spot price changes, regulatory changes, you know, demand changes, all that kind of stuff can really influence your economics. And that could put you in a tight spot if you haven't managed everything perfectly. And even if you have, maybe it still puts you in a tight spot. And maybe we're seeing that now with a lot of the bigger miners. But if you're mining off grid, you know what the cost of your extraction is going to be, you know what the cost of your energy is going to be. You know what your OPEX costs are. So it's it's so much more known. And perhaps for that reason alone, it's going to garner a lot more interest over, over the course of time. I would agree. Yeah, I would, that's 100% on point. Uh, the big things to, to, to think about there, uh, the key things that you said is like uh, the call. The, the, it is like the cost <laughs> that you pay up front now seems to be a lot more worth it because you just can't do it the other way anyways, right? It's not like, well, I can, like, it's more expensive. It's it's really kind of turned into, it's the only way. Uh, at the end of the day, stranded energy isn't tied to commodity prices. It is in a sense of that oil company is going to have an opportunity cost right. for selling you gas instead of building out a pipeline. I mean, that's uh, that's always a cost. But a lot of these places that, that do have stranded gas at this point, it's not an economic question for them to build out the pipeline. It's, it's, they just can't physically do it. Like the reserves uh, don't make sense a long term for it. Uh, they don't know where natural gas is going to go either. That's the other big question is, is they're like, okay, great. $10 an MCF gas. Uh, now I can spend $4 million to build a pipeline and it'll pay off in you know two years. Well, or 
year and a half. It's like, well, what's what's gas going to be in a year and a half? What's your decline curve going to look like on this oil well? Because a lot of times, the production just as you know, oil and gas production does decline. And if it's in a con- unconventional well, which is what the most of these wells are being drilled right now, which means it's fracked, that'd be like your Permian Basin and your Bakken wells. Uh, any of them that don't have the ability to tie into pipelines is um, just have you know, it's by the time that they can tie into the pipeline. They may have already been producing that well. The that first year of production, it may decline sixty to eighty percent, right? It's like a hyperbolic decline curve, and then it plateaus. Mm-hmm. So that 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 affects the uh, the options of justifying a pipeline. So that's your biggest thing: is you just don't have to. You're 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 not correlated to energy prices. Uh, and yes, you know a rebuttal to that statement would be well. You know, the people that hedged out power two years ago are totally fine. Yes, I agree. If you locked into a long power contract at $2 gas and you were in it, you know, power was two and a half to three cents, you're probably doing really good right now. You know, all the riot stuff that they locked into really long-term power purchase agreements, they're doing really good right now. I would, I would bet that they're making a lot of money off of that. However, <laughs> that doesn't change the fact that Bitcoin mining is is always the difficulty is always going up. People are always building out hash rate, and now's the point in time where yes, you still have existing grid power. I'm not saying that tomorrow all of your grid power is going to turn off because of energy prices. A lot of people did hedge out at cheap prices, but it's the people that are building out hash rate now during mm-hmm. this energy crisis because you would never in your wildest dreams buy. You know, say you were building, you you signed a deal to build out 100 megawatts in January on grid. And it's going to be done in March of 2023. Those people wouldn't have bought a power contract to in January for March. They wouldn't be like, okay, I'm going to go and hedge out my power from March onwards. Some people may do that, uh, but it's energy brokers very often tell you don't do that because you have so many so much uh red tape and and bureaucracy that you have to go through to get uh on grid power even in a place like ERCOT they still have like a task advisory force and and all these like applications have to be reviewed so if you get if you get postponed or if things you know there's a supply chain shortage whatever may happen you don't get the money for the ASICs uh when March rolls around you owe that money you owe that power. You have to buy that power. So people don't typically buy their their block pricing until the the, the facility is almost done or are basically mm-hmm. done. Uh, so that's led to a lot of people saying, like, what are we going to do right now? Yeah, and I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but as we, well, as we, we currently exist in an era where more volatility than would be natural is being inserted into these markets via the bureaucracies, right? And that's both in the in the form of regulatory, you know, red tape and these sorts of decisions, but also in the form of monetary manipulation, right? As we both know, you create create more inflation and that shows up in many different places in the form of volatile prices. And it throws, you know, that the market dynamics, the harmony that markets are trying to discover out of whack. And so you combine those two things and likely other variables. And even um, it seems to me that even if you broker a great agreement 
prior to the, the dramatic run-up in prices. I mean, maybe even the provider that's committed to that agreement for whatever reason becomes unable to to service it because their costs have gone through the roof or, you know, and so it, it seems just like there's so much perversion in this and, and such a system is so susceptible to the non-market forces that are causing it to, to have more difficulty coordinating supply and demand that, and you're at the mercy of that. And like we said before, that like the more uncertain the future is, the less it's going to compel investment because, you know, that's just oh, yeah. the nature of the, that's just the nature of the beast. And so it's, it seems like if we're saying that these off-grid operations where, you know, it's vertically owned and integrated are so much more certain, that certainty alone is probably going to continue to garner more and more uh, attractive economics and attractive interest from investors. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, 100% agree on all of that. I mean, that's, it's like, like I said before, it really just boils down to is you are not exposed to the environments uh, that everyone else and the variables that everyone else being on grid are exposed to because you're just, it's, it's stranded energy. Yeah. I heard, speaking of kind of these partnerships with the grid, I heard you mentioned something on a previous interview, and I, I don't know the specific details, but it was something like there's a little loophole that under 9.9 megawatts or under 10 megawatts or something that the agreement with ERCOT can be this is probably not the right word, but games more advantageously for a certain type of miner. Can you explain that? Yeah. So that is called settlement only distributed generation. Um, so when you go to tie in an interconnect, um, and this is very, uh, this is especially prevalent when you are pushing power, right? So it's not always the same when you are pulling power uh, from the grid. But when you are, uh, when you're doing pushing power or doing both, uh, basically the the red tape that you go through is so much less because you're not considered a power a power plant. You're not considered like if you go like over a certain megawatt threshold with a natural gas generator, you're considered like a natural gas power plant. And then you're talking about multiple years that you're waiting for capacity reports and a case study and everything else. Uh, the whole interconnect process is a very fast process. Um, and I can kind of explain what our, our, our theory behind that was. And it's still, it's still a great theory. Uh, I just think current market conditions have definitely made it less favorable to, to pursue is you can basically take, um, there's all these legacy gas fields that have cost associated with them to, uh, Basically, when, when, when you have a legacy gas field, you have depleted pressure in this formation. And pipeline pressure can vary. And a lot of times it's like 600 to 700 pounds of, of like pressure in the pipeline that they sell into. And their wells may have 50 pounds of pressure. So to get that gas into the, the sales line, they have to gather all that gas. They have to take a compressor and they have to build up that pressure and then sell it into the line. That's a more expensive cost than what you would think, as well as all these other things associated with it, uh, such as just you know the blending cost. They get, if you're not selling a ton of volume to the the pipeline, they're going to hit you with all kinds of blending costs, administration costs. Like they only pay you like eighty percent of a certain market because you're not over a certain amount of volume. So these little legacy assets 
were just kind of getting beaten up. And, uh, and this was at $3 gas. And so what our thought process was is you can go in and you can essentially take that strand of gas, use it to mine Bitcoin, uh, and you're doing a three-way arbitrage. So you are using the gas from the, the uh, using the natural gas from the gas field to create power with your generators and mine Bitcoin. The reason your economics are better there with the actual gas process is because your generators can run on, you know, ounces and, and pa- like single digit pounds, not 700 pounds. So you get to cut out the cost of the compressor. Uh, so you can do that. You can run on, on that, on that premise. Then at the same time, you are tied into an interconnect where you are exposed to real time price, just as you know, these current miners are that are pulling load. Uh, and anytime power goes over the price in which you can mine Bitcoin, you instantly shut down your power. I mean, you're a Bitcoin miners and you start selling that power to the grid. Uh, and the reason that I was always said it's had to be sub 10 megawatts is because it's, it allows you to deploy this, you know, in, in a matter of weeks and months, not years. Uh, it's a very, very, very fast process getting to interconnect. And so it's the same concept as CLR where you're, you know, you're powering down and power is being directed back to the grid, except for instead of being a virtual power plant, like CLR and all these grid applications are, you're actually pushing load to the grid, which we felt like is no one can, like no one else is really doing that. That's, that's the, that's like, it's one thing to be a virtual power plant. It's another thing if you're like actually pushing electrons onto the grid, because that's, that's cool. Not, not Uh, consume, not consuming energy versus producing and contributing to the grid. Right. Yeah. One saying I'm not, I'm turned off. Yeah. It's not me. The other one's redirected saying like, elsewhere. <laughs> one saying like, here you go. Here's your electrons. Take them. Um, right. And then at the same time, uh, anytime you also have the ability with that interconnect to pull load. And if you're tied into real time markets, even though I said it's inefficient, like I said, like when did solar go negative certain periods of the day? So you're able to capitalize on that opportunity by turning off your generator because you do have a cost of running that generator. And at a certain point in time, there is times that buying power real-time price on a deregulated market is cheaper than that of which you can create the power with your off-grid application. Mm-hmm. And so there's times where you may be able to buy that negative power. You may be able to buy sub, you know, one cent power uh, multiple times during the day. And no one else would get to do that uh, no one else really gets to do that and have, uh, if you did that, you're exposed to the high electricity prices, right? And no one else has a hedge to be able to still trade real time price at that cheap rate while also having a hedge of like two, two to two and a half cent power that kicks in. Right. So like mm-hmm. the certain, the grid guys right now, when it goes over that a certain rate, they're either still buying the power or they have to shut down because they don't have any backup plan. It's only grid, but you, you're getting to like split that up. And then the third arbitrage is natural gas because it's a commodity that we've seen be very volatile lately. Uh, that when, if it goes up past what, you know, mining revenues down, there is a point in time in which you could still turn on a compressor 
and sell that gas to the pipeline. Now that's like that's probably the 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 weakest link of the mm-hmm. of the three way arbitrage. But as far as like straddling grid and off grid, uh, I think that there's a lot of we call it a Bitcoin peaker plant. That was the term yeah. we came up with. Uh, and nice. I think there's a lot of applications for it. Uh, the only reason I would say right now is a bad time for it is you you do have to buy that gas field. You have to buy that production. And natural gas prices are really, really expensive right now. So you're yeah. basically prepaying for your fuel. And gas is like $9 in MCF, which comes out to about $0.09 cents per kilowatt hour of equivalency. So you're basically prepaying for $0.09 cent fuel. It's kind of the same thing as a, as a hedge. So it doesn't really make sense right now. Right. The, the the major difference here being that the natural gas site can produce its own power. So it, and versus other Bitcoin miners, they're just, you know, takers or or redirectors. Right. The big difference is you have that flexibility of back, being the producer of the commodity yourself. And that gives you the, the advantage of that three way arbitrage that you mentioned. Um, yeah. Um, no, no, no. I was, I was just going to say you're just not exposed. It's, it kind of goes back to the off grid application of you can you're you're because you own that power now you own that gas under the ground you're no longer exposed to commodity prices if you if you don't right. have to be right which is just again way more control and i think i, I spoke to sean sean connell on this podcast is lancium developing software and I'm, I'm, perhaps there's others as well that basically help perform that arb function automatically so if you're a, a producer like this and, and even if it's not them, like presumably companies will emerge in the future that say, okay, well, th- this is quite a unique and beneficial circumstance to be in. Let's automate it all. So when when the renewables price is negative, yep, we're, we're taking that off. When, uh, you know, when it's more conducive for us to produce natural gas and send it into, you know, and sell the commodity, we do that automatically. When it's more advantageous to mine Bitcoin, we do that automatically. When the grid is going to pay us for our power, we do that automatically. Is that something that's currently happening or you see happening in the future? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're currently, we've been through the process lately of, of, of putting a patent together just so people can't tell us not to do it. Uh, Lancium is working on it. Uh, we, we actually brought this up to Lancium because we thought it was a lot like CLR. And so we kind of were like, you know, is this, is this what y'all do? And, uh, basically like brought up the entire concept to them and they were like, no, but that's a very interesting concept. (laughs) Uh, so (laughs) when I, I saw the tweets that talked about Lancium bringing that up. So yes, uh, Lancium is, Lancium is probably going to start doing that as well, uh, which is fine. I want people to do this in the space, uh, but definitely there are people that are picking up the, the idea for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, talk about bringing efficiency to markets. I mean, holy God, like, oh yeah, it's insane. I mean, that you get, you introduce something like that into a market where you get maximum efficiency between producer, user, you know, market price and all that kind of stuff. I mean, presumably that would have a tremendously positive impact on on the grid the power market generally power prices etc yeah and that's what i think is so cool about it is like it is you're bringing the power to end users or you're taking the power like you are the end user or you're or you're giving to end users in both scenarios uh you're getting to basically be a power plant with a natural gas field which has never really been done before uh and the other thing was a lot of these areas that you do this in are very rural areas that they don't have a ton of power plants 
in the area. So it's, to me, it's like, that's even, that's even more cool. If, you know, uh, you're the one that's helping keep like during an energy crisis, during like a winter storm, your Bitcoin, like a Bitcoin mining operation allowed you to help grandma down the road, keep her lights and heater on. Like that's like, that's, that's exciting to me. Like that's like use best use case of Bitcoin you could ask for. It's like literally, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally Bitcoin is enabling, uh, the ability to have a capital efficient operation and a profitable operation that still comes in and helps keep, uh, the grid more efficient. Win, win, win. Why am Absolutely. I not surprised with Bitcoin? <laughs> um, every day, I, every day I find something new that Bitcoin, like my, my parents, I've, I'm starting to orange pill them, but my parents, I'll, I'll go and visit them and, uh, they'll bring up, you know, everyone, oh, older people always bring up the problems of the world, right? Like that's like the boomer thing. Everyone brings up the problems and I'll always just say, you know, Bitcoin fixes that. They're like, no, no. And I'm like, yeah, Bitcoin fixes that. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, man. I, I'm sure we all have a story like that. But every time I get together with my parents and the same thing comes up, you know, and I, I've been preaching this gospel for so long now that they know what my, you know, my shtick is going to be. So I, instead of saying that Bitcoin fixes this, usually I'll just be like, look at them and smirk and be like, you know, you know what I'm going to say, right? Like, I, I won't say it if you don't want me to say it, but you know what I'm going to say, right? <laughs> don't don't like, you know, I'm about to tell you why don't Bitcoin fixes this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, are you guys doing any of your own operations, uh, or sites on grid right now with grid integration or is it exclusively off? No. Uh, and I mean, the reason is, is, is we started this process and, um, I would say that was September of last year. Uh, gas was so much cheaper, uh, buying a gas field right now, uh, because, because this is, I would say we... I spent so I, there's not a gas field in Texas that you couldn't probably drop the name of it to me and I wouldn't know it. Like I mean, I I spent so many hours and drove all around Texas touring gas fields because uh, we were I mean we we're just bullish on this. But the issue was is during that time period, gas went from six dollars to nine dollars, so the cost of a gas field went from you know uh, went from you know say a gas field costs two million dollars when now it may cost eight million dollars. It wasn't even like it was a three x multiple because at that three dollar gas, it may have they may have had a dollar fifty of cost of producing that gas. That you know, so the margin it wasn't a three x multiple. It was even higher than that. Uh, right. So I would say right now, Giga's uh, you know, Giga's view with everything is we're not experts with the market. We listen to the market. Right now, the market is saying energy prices are high, and we real and we know the energy prices are high. Uh, I'm not going to make a inefficient move of, uh, as a company and buy something that I think is is way overpriced of what it should be, uh, just to prove out a concept. So until energy prices come down some, uh, to me that's it's it's not really it's not it's not an economically viable solution as much as I want it to be. Uh, it's just not. So it's, the, it's the not and viable. Gas is. It's Go not ahead. viable to 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 buy the the drill site you mean yeah yeah so if you bought these gas fields um if you bought these gas fields back you know mid 2021 then you're probably doing really good right now you would probably be uh running and gunning with it as we speak right and so would this be kind of one of those periods where 
part of the, re- the motivation for developing a product sales aspect of the business is during these periods, you can focus more on product sales rather than expanding your own operations. Yeah, I'd say we're doing a lot of R&D, making, taking this time to make our, our product a lot better, make our operations a lot better. But we're also still just focused 100% now on uh, flared gas and stranded gas. So that's that's a market that it doesn't matter what natural gas price goes to. If it's still being flared or stranded, it's not, it's not affected by the commodity price. You haven't really seen the cost in which you can get a power purchase agreement, like a, a gas purchase agreement for flare gas. It hasn't gone up a lot with natural gas going up because people are realistic and understand yeah commodities may have 3x but that it doesn't matter this isn't this this is a waste product actually it's not a commodity because it's stranded it doesn't have anywhere it can go uh so we've spent all of our time uh on stranded and flare gas right now and we'll continue uh deploying that because the numbers make sense it's it's a great it's a great opportunity uh but we do feel though is that uh, when power prices, if they do come back down, uh, a more scalable solution that's quick, that has a lot of applications is that demand, you know, the Bitcoin peaker plant demand response, uh, application. And, uh, we'll definitely enter back into that market when the time comes back around. It's the same thing as, as what the grid miners are dealing with. That's what I, that's why I really like to hone in on. Like it's, it really just boils down to, are you tied to commodity prices? And unfortunately, the Bitcoin peaker plant model, you're only tied to commodity prices at one point in time, and it's what your entry point is. Uh, and so to me, it's the same thing as what grid miners are dealing with, is that once if power prices go back down, you you know they'll probably start locking in hedges. That's basically, it's the same concept as with, with the, the Bitcoin peaker plant model. It's just your hedge is, is a gas, gas field. So what I would say is product good right now. Product is like, Top a big big part of our li- top of our list on um, priority, uh, how to get better, how to understand our product better, and then of course, what I do day to day is I'm only working on flare gas projects. So I'm not really uh, the sales guy. I'm not the guy that builds out the equipment. I'm not the guy that I'm. I'm not the expert at that stuff. Uh, our team is unbelievable at it. We have some great guys that are just killer at it. Uh, my my passion and what <laughs> what the job has has led me to is focusing on going and building out relationships with producers that have stranded gas or have flare gas and how do we make them money for their their wasted product and how do we uh, secure that to get cheap cheap power sources to to you know add hash to the Bitcoin network. Right. So the the calculus is kind of like on the one hand you have stranded and waste and. Basically, that's always going to be economically viable because, you know, it's a waste product. And the, yeah. on the other hand, you have an energy resource and we I hope we'll discuss in a little bit, you know, because what you're producing basically is something that can be plugged into any energy resource effectively, you know, yeah. where, wherever it may be, whether it's a grid or it's a hydro dam or it's a, a dump or something like that. And so those economic calculations are predicated on you know, the market dynamics. And when they become economically viable, then sure, plug them in there. Otherwise, stranded and waste is kind of like the bread and butter to, bread and butter that's always economically viable. Is that a, a proper understanding? Yeah, that's that's a good, that's a good, um, I would say you're looking at it the right way. So it's, tell me, I mean, because it seems like it's a bit of a gold rush right now. Like I know it's only been since really, you know, 
whenever Steve got going in 17 or 18, that this kind of entered the public consciousness. But it seems like, uh, you know, with the state of affairs, with Bitcoin, with energy markets, with the mature, the, the state of the industry and it's how quickly it's maturing and how much of a no brainer it is for power producers and people that have flare or stranded gas. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of companies involved in this now. There seems like there's more interest, you know, coming into it. What are those all those conversations that you just referred to? What are they like with, uh, you know, potential customers or partners of yours these days? Yeah, uh, I would say they're starting to really understand it. Um, you had a period of time in which most of your time was spent not. Uh, negotiating on the on the price of gas or negotiating on the contract but most of the time was spent on explaining to the oil producer or the oil company what is it that you're doing right what is this bitcoin stuff now bitcoin mining is a very uh relative very prevalent term in the space a lot of people most most people if you're doing oil and gas know about bitcoin mining with natural gas and flare gas uh and, and one thing I will say about that is I never in my wildest dreams thought that this would have gotten as big as what it did, right? Like I never realized that like- Really? I, I knew it would be, yeah, I mean, I knew it'd be big, but like you can't tell me that flare gas, Bitcoin mining isn't like the fad. It's like the it's like the sexy term for like Bitcoin mining. Like that's what, anytime someone's debating Bitcoin, they're like, oh, well, you know, these guys, they use- Waste gas. These people yeah. use waste gas, right? Uh, even the White House literally- they beat up everything on Bitcoin mining almost, but they praised uh, the idea of using uh, using flare gas. And they're like, that's probably an administration that's very anti-Bitcoin. So that like that was like, wow, that's you know that's crazy. They would still actually bring up the the they would acknowledge the use case of of Bitcoin mining for flare gas. Uh, but yeah. we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> but they, um, I would say that was the main thing. But now they get it. I would say what the big thing is now is there's a lot of people that do have flare gas. So 2021 bull market, one of the reasons we actually started working towards the gas field application was the flare gas market was still there, but there were so many people trying to get a pilot project, so many people trying to get an entry point into this market that every single person just everyone and their mother was doing some flare gas Bitcoin mining, right? Like you would go to, you go to a conference and everybody's talking about doing flare gas Bitcoin mining and they're renting a generator and they're just buying ASICs and they're getting some money for it. And they're bidding up natural gas price uh, for the contract well above what an industry normal is, but they just didn't think there was so much inefficient, like the capital that was inefficiently deployed during this bull market because people didn't understand Bitcoin mining economics. They were saying, oh my God, I can make $40 in MCF and it costs me $5 in MCF. That's a great spread. When in reality, we're over here at Giga and all the other guys, I mean, there's plenty of people in the space to understand it as well, are saying, well, $5 in MCF is equivalent to, to five cents per kilowatt hour, which at that time you could go get grid power for and hedge out. Like, why are you going through all these extra variables? As well as we were saying, you're buying these really expensive computers and, you know, what's going to happen if you're, if you're all in cost is seven cents and you have all these extra variables of off-grid and power goes down, which is what it ha has happened, not, not power, 
uh, Bitcoin mining profitability goes down, hash price comes down, and now you're grossing 10 cents. You're not making $45 in MCF. Now you're making $10. Now you can't even you can't even justify sending people out there to take care of their stuff to, to run it. Um, mm. So when you add all those things in, that's actually helped us, as bad as I want to say, it's actually helped us during this time period because we spent so much time and millions of dollars on focused on vertical integration. We always, if people looked at us like we were stupid, they said, just go rent a generator. You don't have to pay this cost. We said, you have to own your own power generation or else when Bitcoin winter comes, you're not going to be able to justify your margins for a mining application. And we're going to be the ones that have already figured out the whole generator side. And we're going to be able to say, oh, okay, miners gross eight cents. That's fine. I'm at two cents. My entry point's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm well below everybody else in the space, right? And so we've started getting a lot of pubcos, a lot of people that have reached out to us lately. And they're like, hey, we got this flare contract that's, you know, we were putting together back in, in April when things were still booming and banging. And the, the group flopped on us. The group said, I can't justify renting generators. My cost per kilowatt hour is five cents. I can't justify doing all this stuff just to have, you know, five cent power and I already bought ASICs or I, I you know, I, I, I just, the, the, the money, the economics don't make sense uh, because there's all these extra variables with off-grid mining. So right now it's actually prime for Giga, I would say, because we are able to build that power infrastructure so much cheaper than what the market rate is and we're able to build it quicker because uh, that's the other problem is oil went up. I don't want to get sidetracked, but oil went up. Anytime oil goes up, the, the need for natural gas generators for oil field applications goes through the roof. So these power contracts at four cents, you know, four and a half cents for rental agreements, I'm seeing rental agreements for generators as high as six and a half cents. So try to justify that. And what it is, mm-hmm. is, is the oil company has a well that makes them $100,000 a day. They don't care if, if a Mesa generator costs them $15,000 a month versus $12,000 a month. They just need five of them and they need them tomorrow, right? Mm. Bitcoin miners are different. They're like, that's, that's, you know, that's a whole penny per kilowatt hour. That's a huge difference. So you're exposed. It, this whole conversation, I think, keeps going back to the fact that you're exposed to the energy market. Being exposed to that leads to so many unknown variables. And if you can have vertical integration and you can have all this in-house production, you're able to just keep chugging along where other than our entry point of ASICs, really nothing's changed for Giga from doing flare gas mining in 2021 versus 2022. We're still building Mm -hmm. the same stuff. It's still relatively the same cost. And our cost of power isn't really changing. So I would say right now... uh, off-grid applications, there's not as many people chasing it as what you think because uh, a lot of people just don't have the money. Um, and the ones that are chasing it, they're either trying to figure out how to own their own power generation or their payback period is just not really good. Right. So have you seen a lot of competitors or other people in the space drop off over the last six months as a result of the dynamics you just explained? Yes. Yes, I have. I've seen... There is a, let's just say, I would say uh, into 2019, it was interesting seeing all the people in the circle. And then, you know, COVID happened, bear market happened of 2020, of it going way down. And then when the the bull market happened uh, at the end of 2020, 
and everyone kind of started getting back together, the, the circle changed, right? The people changed. And I think that you're going to see the same thing happen where you go to these Bitcoin meetups and some of the people that were there eight months ago, they're not there anymore. Right. Mm. They're, they're, they're back in they're they're back in a different industry. Uh, yeah. and, and I can't blame them. They maybe got a better offer or something like that. So I don't ever want to like, you know, try to justify, like figure out, like, I don't ever like say like, Oh, you're stupid for leaving Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. but I, the circle's changing. Like when the next bull run we have, it's going to be a new set of people and it's going to be people that have hopped on and taken opportunities during this bear market. And it's going to be people that aren't there that were there during the last bear market, uh, that have just fallen out. So I've seen probably three companies that are pretty, pretty relevant. that have said like, Hey, flare gas is just not for me. Uh, let's go do grid. Oh crap. Grid's really expensive. Uh, let's just go. Let's go drill oil wells. <laughs> they go back to the right. energy industry. Right. I, w- I want to reflect on that for a second, because when you think about it, you know, I heard uh, or I saw someone make this point the other day that when Volcker, um, you know, jacked up interest rates in the 80s to quell inflation, I think they went from like, like from 10 to 20 percent, let's say roughly something like that. I don't know the exact numbers. And, you know, and people are like, wow, that's like that's crazy. But it was really just a doubling of the cost of capital, right? From 10 to 20. Right. You look at the confluence of factors that we're dealing with today, where the cost of capital went from, in, ma- in many cases, zero. But let's say in the US, I think it went to a quarter, like 0.25% to yep. three, right? So that's like, or whatever it is now, somewhere around there. But like, that's a 6x increase in the cost of capital. As Bitcoin sold off 70 plus percent, as your cost of energy went, you know, doubled or even more in certain places. So you have like a really a perfect storm to put maximum pain <laughs> and pressure on people that are trying to make a go of basically producing hash or, or, or being Bitcoin, you know, miners. And, and then you have, you know, layered on top of that, all the volatility in the economic unit of measure itself in the money and in financial markets and stuff like that. So again, we are we keep coming back to this point where the thing that can be most controlled and known probably has the greatest survivability, which is, as we've been discussing, you know, off-grid, off-grid. operations where they're vertically integrated. But I'd love to get your opinion, even on the the public ones, right? And so, you know, as this, as the thinking goes, access to greater access to capital markets allows you to see through, you know, some of the ups and downs of this kind of stuff. But of course, like everything, it's a double-edged sword. And so if your cost of capital goes up by 6x and your profitability plummets as a result of energy inputs going up and and uh, Bitcoin price going way down, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're public, that might, you might be screwed anyways, you know? Yeah. And so um, I'm curious, you know, based on your closeness to all the different components of this industry, what you're thinking, you know, what are your thoughts on the long-term viability of, of the public miners? And, you know, if you want to sprinkle in a little bit of uh, regulatory capture too, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be opposed. <laughs> I would say, I would say public miners. Um, well, one big thing to disclose is like, I, I don't pay a ton of attention to the actual um, like stock market, everything like that. Once I became a full Bitcoin maxi. That's I just I've stopped paying irrelevant. attention to the, Yeah, everything's <laughs> irrelevant. But I do pay attention to the public miners. Uh, and I think I mainly see it from like people, you know, people talk, 
people talk in the space and you hear stuff through, through the grapevine. Uh, a lot of these people that bought at, that, that overpaid on their cost of capital for the ASICs, like that's, that's really the big one is forget the, the cost of capital increasing for like building out infrastructure and stuff that they, they bought this, these ASICs in the, in the futures, uh, way, way too expensive. You know, they bought ASICs at $10,000 that they use so much leverage on and then they're paying a credit card rate on that. I, I think a lot of people won't say it, but my personal opinion is if we keep trading sideways like this and difficulty keeps going up, because because really it doesn't matter as it matters some if Bitcoin goes up because then they can, you know, a lot of these people hold a lot of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. They can pay, pay off debts. But the main thing is hash price for them, right? Because that determines their profitability. And yeah. if it keeps going down and Bitcoin keeps trading sideways, you know, either I'm stupid and I don't understand stuff, or there will be an absolute bloodbath in this market. Because it's it's like, we were just running the numbers the other day. We were, we were getting told that some people are paying eight and a half cents for hosting. And even some of these big guys were paying like, that they're like publicly traded, we're, we're having hosting contracts at like seven cents. And it's like, I, I don't know how they're, you know, even if they bought the ASICs today, that's still a four-year payback period, uh, and if you bought them at ten thousand dollars, you're you're sunk. Like, go ahead and like see if you can write that one off, right? Because it's mm. it's unless Bitcoin just rips, you're it's 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 going to be a really really it's going to be a bad market for the people that overpaid, and it's going to be a slow market for the people trying to get into the space now with the high entry point of power, because capital, you know. It's already a volatile industry. I would say Bitcoin price, you know, 70% sell-off <clears throat> led to a lot of people that had just entered this debt space, had a lot of defaults of people that levered up on miners and couldn't pay it. And they're like, oh my God, like we loaned all this money to people to buy ASICs at $10,000 a piece. And now they're $3,000 and we can, you know, we're not going to get our money back. So that's led to people saying, okay, I need to take a step back. And you're seeing a lot slower allocation of capital into this space. I think it's going to be really hard for people to get debt right now. It's going to be really hard for Mm -hmm. people to get stuff. And so even though it's a prime time to go mine Bitcoin, especially if you're in an uncontrolled uh, environment like off-grid, there are challenges in general that are going to lead to a a slow growth of hash rate. So I, I was never bullish on people said 300 exahashes by the end of 2022 i was never really bullish on that be like ran napkin math uh i just kind of kept my opinions to myself because everyone was like no it's 400 no it's 700 and i was like i don't know if we're gonna get to 500 (laughs) exahashes but like all right cool uh but we're not gonna be at 300 exahashes by the end of this year like what are we at right now uh i think it's like 220 you know, and, and I think we were at like 200 at the beginning of uh, 2022. So mm. you're talking about very slow growth of hash of uh, hash rate. Uh, and it's not going to get better anytime soon. So I don't know if that really answers your questions on the pubcos, but like uh, a lot of these pubcos, if you, if you talk to them back in 2021, everyone was saying, oh, the pubcos haven't made 
because you have the ability to borrow, like you have your stock and you have all this debt. Mm. You have all this money that you can go, you can go, you can go borrow against. You have all this money that you can go use to fund Bitcoin mining operations that private sectors don't have, right? Like they don't have liquid cash in the private sector. And people were saying like, oh, they're, they got it made. Well, now they went and allocated the capital and it's dropped by 80% or they have leverage and they can't service the debt. So it doesn't really matter what report you read about, you know, this person is said they're going to deploy this many by this many. Like you're already seeing like the public and traded mining companies like adjust their deployment of, of computer, the amount of computers they're going to deploy this year. They're already adjusting that and it's going to get worse and worse. Uh, and when it started, when it, when hash price went below eight cents the other day, I know that there was a lot of really important people in this mining space that were looking at that saying, Oh my God, like it's, <laughs> it, it's it, it, like energy's going up. Bitcoin profitability is going down. We're just getting pinched right here in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if this keeps going, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And we can't, we can't stay swimming that long. Yeah. I mean, from what I can tell, most of them, if you take their November 2021 stock price, they're most almost all of them are basically down by a factor of 10 since then, yeah. which yeah. is wild. Like 90% you know? down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. And so, I mean, I guess the, the big question is, is how long can they all survive? You know, and as is so often the case, right, with Bitcoin, only the strong <laughs> survive. And uh, I, I agree, like if we chop around in this territory for longer or if seems like rates are going to go up even further, you know, very shortly and we'll see what happens with energy prices and, you know, we'll see what happens with Bitcoin. But if Bitcoin, you know, goes into the, the mid to low teens and interest rates go up, I mean, I think you'd probably agree we're going to see some capitulation from the public miners, right? Like even big time. Absolutely. I mean, I, it's, you, it's, it's like, it's, 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 it has to happen. There's no, there's no way around it. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I think it's crazy as well that like my, like Bitcoin mining companies, it's 90% down. And that's just unreal. I don't think you'll just see like, Mining companies go away. I think there'll be a lot of restructuring. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation. Like consolidation for sure uh, in the space. You're going to see, but but like you said, your point. If if, if Bitcoin goes down to the low teens, uh, right now Bitcoin miners are selling more Bitcoin. A lot of them, if you look at a lot of these pubcos, they're selling more Bitcoin than they're mining. Which means their like their debts are higher than what than what they're able to justify with just their their mining revenues, uh, and when that's the case, if Bitcoin you know takes another chop of fifty percent, uh, or just say it goes down thirty percent, forty percent, like that's all they have on their balance sheet right now to pay pay off their debts. I. I <laughs> You're gonna see where a point in time where they really have to start selling off a lot of a lot of Bitcoin because they just you know it's it's value goes down, debt stays the same, number of Bitcoin sold goes up. Mm-hmm. Which and I, you and know, I'm not it, a finance guru, so I may be butchering <laughs> all this. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it's so often the case in Bitcoin, right? People that are over levered, that are over allocated, that don't have efficient enough operations, all of them eventually through the path of maximum pain become forced sellers until Bitcoin finds once again 
its firm, fundamental, rock-solid level of hodlers, of miners, of everyone in the industry. And when it reaches that point, usually it just goes boink, and it's and it redirects and starts going the other way again. But it it yeah. that's the that's the process of Bitcoin hardening. You know, the whole ecosystem hardening along with Bitcoin's own, you know, hardening and each having cycle. Like that's just the the growth and contraction and the, the expansion and consolidation of every different aspect of this system. And yep. in a sense, it's beautiful because it's so it's so pure. I mean, this is how it it maintains its resiliency and strengthens itself over time so that it can continue to grow. But of course, you know, I have sympathy for the people that get, you know, are, are on the receiving end of that along the way. Yeah, you never want to see anybody... Uh... You never want to see anybody fail in general, uh, but Bitcoin is a very competitive. Bitcoin mining is extremely uh, competitive. It's extremely uh, unforgiving, is what I would say. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in 2021 could just get any capital they wanted, and and a lot of those people are going to get shook out of the market. Uh, and I think it's so. One of the things that I will say, I have to, because here's the thing. In general, <laughs> even though I'm saying off grid's better, and it's like, oh, like we're still pushing for. Don't get me wrong. Anyone that has a, a 60% reduction in their profitability, like that hurts. Like that, mm-hmm. like that, like that affects you. Like every single miner has received, like has had profitability go down, and, and it's like anyone's a fool. If they're saying like, oh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, I just, I just want it to get worse and worse and worse for all my hash rate I have online. The only reason they would say that is if they're trying to deploy hash rate in the near term future. Uh, I, I think it's funny when I see on Twitter, like a lot of the people that I probably know are going through just absolute hell, like just going through a disaster of big. And they're just like, Oh yeah. Like only the strongest survive, like winter storm, baby. And it's like, guys, like, like, aren't y'all like insolvent? Like, like, aren't y'all like, about to <laughs> like, every, like, it's almost like it's this circle of everyone. Like all the miners are like, Oh yeah. Like only the tough ones survive. And then we're all like, yeah, like this is not looking good. <laughs> like, it's the, co- um, it's the copy. It's the copium, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've always, yeah, thought that's, I, always thought that's funny. Sure. I mean, but to your point, I mean, it sounds like if people are capitalized right now, great time to scoop up cheap basics, great time to, um, <coughs> well, cheap basics is probably the big one, but also, you know, start, if you can survive and get going now in, in the current market dynamics and presumably as they improve in the future, you'd be better off. But, you know, I have heard you uh, say before that Bitcoin mining is a race to the bottom, right? All this downward pressure and all this all this competition that comes into the space is basically putting downward pressure on effectively profitability. And so can you expand on that a bit? And what do you think the implications of that are longer term? Yeah, well, I mean, Bitcoin mining profitability is always down and to the right. Uh, hash rates always up and to the right. Uh, and so you, it's it's mar- like profitability is always going down unless you have like, yes, bull markets send hash price up. But if you look at historically hash price, like it's, it's down and to the right. Mm. Uh, it's And that's because people find it's that's what I like. I love about Bitcoin. I think that's what the people on Twitter that are underwater that are still advocating for like, like boasting about how great Bitcoin is about being unforgiving. I think that's what they're talking about as well. It's like Bitcoin mining is so efficient of out like, like in general, if you may be unaf- like inefficient allocating capital, 
But Bitcoin mining itself just keeps chugging along, and it's it's only going to reward the people that were efficient allocating capital. That's there's there's no subsidy for it. There's no if ands or buts about it. Like that's just how it goes. And so people are always like hash rates going to continue to grow because people are going to see opportunities like flare gas, like like landfill captures, like uh, the Bitcoin peaker plants, whatever it may be, wind. What well, I don't know. Uh, Hydro, they're going to see these opportunities and they're going to keep building out uh, revenues. And so I think the main reason why I bring that up in most of the podcasts I talk about is I guess I'm just saying, like, our philosophy, like, our viewpoint at Giga and like what we try to run on is the idea that don't build out a model that has hash rate and Bitcoin profitability flatlined, right? Like, that's, that's, that's a foolish assumption to make that other people aren't going to enter this market. Even if you think there's going to be a bull run, that's an assumption. Uh, we all know where Bitcoin's going, but that's still an assumption, and you can't run on assumptions in, fi- like in, in, in building out a business. You just can't. Uh, as well as, some, like, especially, like you can run on an assumption with like an idea as a company, right? Like We're all in the Bitcoin business thinking that Bitcoin's going to go up, but like a model's a model for a Bitcoin operation, and you just have to be realistic about that. Uh, otherwise you go underwater like some people have. So yes, it's a race to the bottom. Uh, I guess that's what I mean by that is like long-term, you're going to see where people are spending, uh, spending millions of dollars to make thousands of dollars. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, I would, and I'm not the biggest expert on this, but I compare it a lot to like, well, from what I've seen is like mining pools, uh, because, you know, mining pools are, are almost near perfect competition. Go ask anybody that owns a mining pool. Be like, yeah, wow, like you have like eight exa hashes on your mining pool. You're probably making bank. And they'd probably be like, well, it's actually, it's, it's, we don't make as much as what you think. It's like mining pools are very, very competitive. And Bitcoin mining is the same way. It's, 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 it's such an efficient market that has nothing, there's nothing to prop it up. There's no government interference. There's no subsidy. Bitcoin mining is Bitcoin mining. It doesn't care about your feelings. It doesn't care about the opinion of the public. Uh, and because it's just such a efficient market, uh, it's 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 just always going to get more competitive. And I don't think people were expecting a seventy percent drop. You know, when I say it's a race to the bottom, I didn't think the bottom was three months away from that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do think long term, you're just going to see it continue to go down. Yeah, and I think to the point we were discussing earlier, like the peaker plan idea. I think that intense pressure on fostering efficiency is actually what gives you the opportunity or puts you in a position where you can bring efficiencies to other markets and and in particular to other energy markets because you're so resilient because you're so viable at yep. at low profitability. And so that's so that's kind of how the the benefits of bitcoin bleed out into the industries or markets that it's interacting with because it's so sound, right? Because because of the competitive uh pressures that Bitcoin contends with, it, it seems like it's able to bring them to other markets. And, you know, this is when the idea of the peaker plant and the, the software we were discussing is so cool because that's kind of the process of, of facilitating that integration and then shifting that efficiency from one place to another. So, yep. I mean, I guess the question off the back of that is what do you see as the future of Bitcoin mining? And I mean that both uh, in the context of what we've been discussing off grid on grid fully controlled integrated vertical vertically and not uh but also from 
a regulatory perspective because you know any good bitcoiner knows that things could come to a head at some point between you know the money monopoly and bitcoin and anything that's integrated into regulated markets is going to be far easier to capture and so i'm just curious like when you cast your mind 5 10 15 years in the future uh in regards to the, the industry that you're involved in how do you see it proliferating and developing and playing out yep i'm so glad you asked that because quite frankly those are like my two favorite questions to talk about right now uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> i my view uh is Bitcoin mining in general is going to become less and less independent on its own and more as an application that complements another industry. And what I mean by that is like power producers that are, are natural gas producers that do the Bitcoin Pico plant model that find a way to add revenue streams to their to their industry. Uh, power producers that have excess capacity, that have wasted capacity, flare ga- like oil producers that have, you know, a oil production that have a flare that they need to eliminate. Like it's going to become like less of like, I'm just trying to mine Bitcoin. And because it's, it's, you're going to have so many other industries that have other revenues built upon their mining operations that all kind of complement each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think your stand, my, my opinion, at least I think your standalone Bitcoin miners over time is going to get less and less and less because there's so if you start looking at it there's so many applications that you can use bitcoin mining for that these guys are like yeah this is great like think of like green like uh, like greenhouse like agri- like agriculture like I've, I've seen people that use miners to like heat their their greenhouse forms it's like stuff like that it's like that's a revenue like it's that's a revenue derived upon something they already have right uh, the flare gas mining is they didn't say, hey, let's drill some wells and build some flares to mine Bitcoin, right? They mm. said, we have, this is an industry. We already have this industry. Uh, how do we, you know, how do we take care of a problem, right? Like it's like, it's, it, Bitcoin just naturally fits into it. Uh, I don't know if that really, does that kind of makes sense? That's the first part I would say. 100%, as far as like, yeah future of that the second thing is when you deal with like regulations and actually stuff, actually sorry before you go to the second part do you think uh the bitcoin miners will become energy companies so they procure energy assets or do you think the big energy companies end up becoming integrated bitcoin miners and and the kind of and, that, and that's what happens which way does the yeah. consolidation go yeah. So you asked me my two favorite questions and then you asked me my least favorite question. No, okay. <laughs> That's such a tough one. That's such a tough one. And, and, and here's why I would say naturally, I think energy companies are going to become Bitcoin companies, which is why we've tried to have an energy focus as a company as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bitcoin mining is, is, is energy arbitrage in a lot of play ways. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a power infrastructure play. Uh, so I think you're going to see energy companies become mining companies, but the only thing that I would say that makes me like say, okay, hold on and take a step back is yes, I know we're still early, but like, John, this is, this has been talked about for a while now and you still have these big, big companies that had all the resources and all the ability to enter the space that chose not to like, why doesn't mm-hmm. Exxon mine Bitcoin themselves with flare gas? Why does Conoco Phillip? Why did they contract out flare gas mining? And it's like, isn't that an easy, like, 
if, if you have if you have a hundred billion dollar market cap, I promise you, you can probably outsmart any Bitcoin miner out there because Bitcoin mining was built to be relatively easy as far as the, the concept of plugging in hash rate goes. Uh, so when you look at that, it's like, okay, well, maybe that makes me like a little bit more bearish on the concept of energy companies becoming Bitcoin miners. Uh, and that's why I, I know this is the wrong answer, but I think it's going to be somewhat of a hybrid. I don't think your big guys are going to do it, quite frankly. I don't. Your big guys are so backed by ESG capital. They're worried about e-waste. They're worried about like they the, the, the accounting perspective of Bitcoin, the tax implications, what the government's going to say about it, that I think they're going to pass up on one of the greatest opportunities they've ever had, right? Because we know we all know where this is going. Uh, I think some of your smaller guys are going to integrate and become energy companies will become Bitcoin miners and there'll be a slow progression. And I think you also are going to have on the other spectrum, you're going to have some, some Bitcoin mining companies that are so focused on energy that they're going to, they're going to be able to, to, to iterate. Right. And then you're going to have some people that are like, I don't want anything to do with energy. I just want to mine Bitcoin. And that's going to be like, you know, you have two sides of the spectrum and that's going to be the other side of the spectrum that they're, they're not, you know, I look for those people to have problems uh, long term, because they don't they don't iterate into being a, a power play, because uh, I guess that's what and, and I can't blame the energy companies. Let me say that it makes sense. People always told me they said, "Are you worried about Exxon?" And they worried about Conoco. Are you worried about all these people coming and taking all your market share? And the more that I thought about it, and the more I've seen it play out, like it makes sense why they haven't. And what the reason is. The, the wells, like, let's talk about, I, I can talk about this in, in the flare gas application. I can't speak so much in the grid application, but in the flare gas application, let's take the flare gas wells. The energy companies could have said, hey, let's go mine Bitcoin. These flares mean that that's gas that doesn't get to market for that oil company. So that means that, that well is less profitable on a production basis than a well that has pipeline accessibility close by has oil like has all the things to get the energy to market right anytime you don't get energy to market your investment is worse uh, as far mm-hmm. as like what you probably modeled it based off of and this these these oil companies they're not sitting there saying okay i am uh, i've got this well that's going to have flare gas for 3 years that i could spend Ten million dollars on and build a whole mining operation uh, to capitalize and uh, utilize this flare gas, and I can make, you know, five times as much money as I could just letting some flare gas mining company come and do it for me. They they have a budget, and especially with energy prices where they are right now, they're making like I know I know one company that came out and said they were making eight hundred percent IRR. On some of their wells, which I'd never even heard of, and it's like, yeah, like I can understand why you don't want to invest in my mining company. Then, like that's <laughs> like I, I wouldn't do that either. So, like a dollar spent for them away from doing what they're best at, which is drilling oil wells, is a dollar wasted, especially mm. when you have returns that are that good. So, mm. it's only going to be the people that get mining. They get they 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 understand where Bitcoin's going. I don't think you're going to have a lot of big energy companies that just stumble upon becoming one of the biggest natural gas Bitcoin mining companies in the world. Does that make sense? And if they totally. ever do, 
they'll just buy somebody. Like they'll probably acquire, like a lot of these flare gas companies, including myself, like it's a realistic possibility we get acquired someday by an energy company that finally gets it. But that's the reasoning why they're not doing it right now. So uh, I, I, that's why I think it's going to be some sort of a hybrid. Got it. Uh, okay. So the, the second part of your favorite question was the regulatory. Yeah. Uh, regulation. Uh, I. This is my hot take. Um, I was never... I was bullish on, I'm bullish on ERCOT, I'm bullish on grid mining, I'm bullish on Bitcoin peaker plants. I am not bullish on huge scale uh, mining operations. I, I like great, like, I think Chad and everybody at Winstone and Riot, they did a great job. Uh, I think they'll, they, they could probably get Navarro. That's their new one gigawatt power plant that they're building. I think they'll probably get it done. But you're seeing so much protesting. And so like the city council, like there was a whole, I saw, I got sent a petition. They're like, what is this? It was a petition of uh, Corsicana, the town that it's going in, literally like, like against it, like saying like, hey, like we don't want this here. And anytime you're dealing with something that big, I think you're, you're going to have backlash and it's only going to get worse and worse. Uh, so I think that you could have grid mining, but I don't. I disagree, and this is the part where people disagree a lot with me. I disagree in the near-term future that it's it's going to get better for these large-scale miners to build out a gigawatt. They're not going to be able to call Encore or ERCOT and say, "Yeah, we just need a gigawatt." You know, we just we just need like half the city of Dallas worth of power. Like no biggie, right? Like it's it's <laughs> yes, there's a lot of excess capacity, but. I, I, I really knew this when I, I spoke, I got to speak one time and I'm not going to say their name, but it was, it was a person that's over the, uh, Texas power, the, was it PWC, Texas, Texas, uh, basically the Texas power utilities commission. They are the ones that regulate ERCOT. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought that this guy was going to have a extremely like, yeah, like, you know, there's some use cases for Bitcoin mining on the grid and this and that. He was the most, it, it was, I realized how much of an echo chamber we're in sometimes. He was so anti big grid mining. I was shocked. And it's like, wow, that's the guy who literally makes the decisions that's over everything. And he's sitting here telling me, he's like, he's looking over it. He, there was an ener- a guy that was an energy company there. He's like, such and such company. You guys are an oil company. Y'all make a thousand jobs. He's like, big grid operations don't make a thousand jobs. And he's like, yeah, I guess you can do CLR. But he said, I'd just rather the power not be there anyways. And I was like, mm. wow. I was like, I, I, I don't get me wrong. That's not my view. But it really opened my eyes to how uninformed our society is and, and, and the people in leadership roles are on this whole thing. And I was mm. like, wow. That, like, I, told, I told Matt, my co-founder, after that. I told him about it. He's like, wow. That's, I would have, like, he told me two days later. He goes, I, I'm a lot less bullish on large-scale grid mining after what you told me because it doesn't matter what and you see this a lot in the world it doesn't matter what the right answer to something is it matters what the people think right Mm -hmm. and right now it is fair to say the majority of people that hear about large-scale grid mining they don't have a good taste in their mouth about it they hear about all you hear is they get paid a ton of money when to turn off power are they're taking your power they're providing noise pollution they're providing water pollution you name it it's you see the media beat it up so bad Mm. and it's like okay 
if that's the case, and you already implemented the ERCOT task force, you're going to see a lot of people start you know, regulating and clamping down on large-scale grid mining. You saw the White House report that came out. Uh, they, they didn't treat it well. So my view of where I see hash rate going on in the next five, five years, let's just say a five-year horizon, I think you're going to see so much hash rate off-grid internationally. I think you're going to see internet, like you're going to see off-grid applications be deployed wide-scale internationally. And here's why. We are blessed to live in America, being a first-world country that has great energy infrastructure. Okay, and what that means is, is a lot of gas. Yes, there's a big flare gas market, but man, a lot of gas goes to a pipeline. A lot of gas ends up in a pipeline, and we're shipping it over to Europe as fast as we possibly can. Uh, so, like, it's specific reasons for flaring. When you go to these, when you go to a third world country, as much as I hate to say it, that's where you start getting to areas that they can truck the oil all day long. They'll pipeline the oil. They don't have a use. They can't get like. Not only do the people in that area not need that much natural gas, they don't have the money and the infrastructure to get it to market. And they don't have the technology like America does to do uh, to do uh, LNG or other things like that. Like you may see like that start to grow. But I think you're going to see a lot of these national oil companies that are saying, oh, my gosh, like I get money for being in this Parrot Climate Accord. I get money. I, I get I have all these reasons that I need to join all this stuff, right? And I'm flaring. I can't justify a pipeline. My people don't need this much gas. We're going to implement Bitcoin mining because we can have the cheapest cost of power in the world. We're going to have the we're going to have amazing, amazing returns, and we're going to be able to to lower our methane uh, production. We're going to be able to lower our, our methane emissions. We're going to be able to lower our, our CO two. We're going to be able to lower everything. And it's going to make us look, you know, them as a country look like heroes, and they're going to make a ton of money off of it. So if you ask me where like hash rates going, I think it's going to start to trickle into these countries. You see Crusoe's going to Oman. You know, they got funded by the Oman Sovereign Wealth Fund. Uh, when you really if you really understand flare gas and you look at I've got a deal that I can look at the global flare data, every single flare in the entire world. And it's it is unreal. The, cons- like the consistency, because the other thing is you have to have constant flares for Bitcoin mining. You can't have intermittency. That means that like you flare one day when the compressor goes down, the rest of the time you're like mining, I mean, the rest of the time you're selling into a pipeline. If you look at across the world at all the flares, the amount of flares outside of the United States that have constant flaring because they just don't have the infrastructure is unreal. I mean, you're talking about tens and tens of gigawatts uh that can be built out like so that's great for us being bitcoiners because that's a more distributed network now that's like you said you talk to the whole control thing that's less control yes you have national oil companies uh that are going to be controlling some of that but it is going to be more distributed than just everything being an ERCOT or a 750 megawatt mining form all at one spot you're going to have it spread Mm. across the entire globe, uh, and you're going to see some of these foreign countries start making a lot of money off of, even if they ban Bitcoin mining, mark my words, they won't ban 
flare gas mining because it's going to be in the name of flare gas mitigation. This isn't a flare gas mm-hmm. Bitcoin. I mean, this isn't a Bitcoin mine. This is a data center that's doing flare gas mitigation. I've already right. seen people. I've already seen people starting to talk about that. I know of a lot of projects that are happening internationally, uh, and you're going to see a lot of migration of the technology was built like a lot of things. Like I love America. The technology was built in the United States. The idea came up in the United States. Well, technically Canada. Steve's the pioneer. Got to give him credit because he's in Canada. He probably wants to be in the United States. I hear him, hear him <laughs> talking, talk, talk about he hates Canada. Yeah, who doesn't? Uh, I, yeah, I love him to death. Uh, but it came from it came from America. It came from the United States. Came from North America. Now it just took enough time where it's still so early with off grid that we've had enough time to prove it out that capital is going to feel comfortable moving it over to overseas applications, and it's going to be mm-hmm. a lot different. This is the last thing I'll say on this. It's going to be a lot, you're going to see a lot different situation than like, you know, there's a lot of oil overseas as well, right? But capital, it's really hard for people to, ju- to get capital to go do overseas projects uh, because what they're worried about is the government coming in and taking all their stuff, saying like, this oil's ours now. Well, the way that that usually happens is the oil companies spend billions of dollars doing ex- exploration and drilling those wells. And then that happens. Well, Bitcoin mining is a portable solution. It's it, yes, I guess they could come seize it, but typically that's not really the thing that happens. It's more of a like we're like this is now going to be out. a nationalized thing. Well, you yeah. can't pick up an oil well and move it, and you all your exploration costs is sunk cost. Bitcoin mining is so unique in the sense of like great, like you go to this country and then they decide they don't want to do it, like pick it up and move it to the next one. And I think you're yeah. just going to see hash rate moving all over. Yeah, I've often thought the same thing and also why it's not being branded as just as you said, just this is a flare mitigation technology. Don't even mention Bitcoin. It's inside of a black box. Who cares? You plug it in yeah. and the and the the flare owner gets a cut or they get the mitigation that they want, whatever. That's the service you provide. You don't have to tell them how to do it. Like, I, you know, who knows how a computer works or a car works or all, all this kind of stuff. You just know the service that it provides, right? The function yeah. that, it, that it serves for you. And I can see that. I can see people taking that approach, at least with their marketing and branding, to avoid some of the, you know, the sensitive issues around Bitcoin and misunderstandings and and that kind of stuff around it. Um, but it, it's a very it's a interesting and I think very logical uh, theory that you put forward. And you know, the other thing is is that it's such a to your point about the risk of the the jurisdictional risk. I mean, it's such a amazing um, business model for your ability to be kind of, uh, to, to keep an eye on things, right? It's like, if you have an operation anywhere else, it's like, you need to re- rely on reports and you don't know if someone's cooking the books and all this kind of stuff. But if you have a, a Bitcoin mine on a flare thing in Oman, you can look at your computer in real time and see how much energy is being used and how many sats are being produced and know exactly where those sats are going. So people basically cannot cheat you, you know? So yep. what a, in, and then if they, if something, you know, if something bad happens or you get kicked out, as you say, you'll probably get an opportunity to pick up sticks and be like, all right, peace, see ya, just throw it on a boat and go find another place. But just the, the, how, how, how closely you can monitor things with this type of a, a business model. It's just, it's crazy, you know, and with Starlink it's, it's, up in the sky, now you can just, you, you, you yeah. don't even need internet service. It's going to change the world. I mean, I'm telling you, it is 
it, everyone was like, dude, internet, shut up. And it's like, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. <laughs> the flares are there. People are going to go. And it's, it's like you said, it's, that's the other thing is they would bring, when you think about the whole nationalization thing, it's like, uh, or the risk of someone like taking your stuff in a different country that's unstable. You're talking about like a 40 foot box of the newest generation of computers, let's say XPs, would probably be like 40 petahashes in a 40 foot container, unless you can like figure out how to engineer even more, but like typically like 40 petahashes in one container. So you're telling me out of everything in that country, like a whole government is going to like be able to tie down where a 40 foot container is. There's shipping containers everywhere for holding stuff. So like Mm. you talk about how remote these areas are, like, it's not like it's this huge, you know, we flew over uh, Rockdale. We were flying into Austin the other day, and you could see, you could see riot from uh, miles and miles away. And, mm. you know, we, we're in America, so I don't think riot's about to get shut down, even though, I mean, I guess grid miners could see some problems with regulation in the future. Uh, but when you're talking about off-grid, you have to drive up to it to even know it's there. Like, you, like mm. it's, it sounds like a compressor. Like it's very common to have noise on oil sites. So the generators, you know, blends right in and it's just a box. And if you're doing immersion, it's really just a box at that point because there's no noise of fans and ASICs and everything else. So I, I, I think people are, are forgetting like there's, there's a lot bigger fish to fry for these countries than worrying about 20 or 30 boxes in a certain region that are taking flare mm-hmm. gas and mining with it and not, not, not so, only that they're actually reducing their methane emissions for the country so they'll probably try to look the other way as long as they can totally um i'll piggyback off that prediction for my last question or two but you know based on the way you see things playing out in that way um well one actually it's kind of specific and you don't have to answer it but have you been in in contact with international markets and and potential customers in international markets for that very reason but more importantly um how do you see the future of giga in this type of environment and you know with everything that we've been discussing like what when you imagine giga in in five ten years what do you see yeah so yes and (laughs) yes to the first one Uh, (laughs) we you know it's been a quite a battle figuring out there's a lot of hurdles to getting international uh but we are it, it is something we are doing uh we we have we have six projects we've been evaluating uh two of the projects have been confirmed jvs uh for international projects i mean i i gotta i gotta follow what my gut feeling is right if i feel like it's gotta go international i gotta totally. i gotta follow totally. pursuit uh, and I'm seeing a lot more people reach out to us lately in regards to this. That's the other reason I'd say it started really getting in my head of like, okay, the international thing, because companies were just reaching out left and right. Uh, is it mostly the Middle East where all the, the, the flares of the world are like Iraq and Saudi uh, Arabia and Oman and those sorts of places? You know, Saudi, Ara- Saudi Arabia has a lot. Um, I would say, I would say it's mainly like, oh, but like Crusoe hit the jackpot. And Oman, quite frankly, Crusoe is going to move a lot quicker than almost everybody because they got really well capitalized right before a really bad time. 
and power prices are high and they got all this off grid. Like, so props to them. They're going to kill it. Uh, Oman, Egypt, uh, you know, you have your really unstable countries that I'd be doubtful people can probably get into to mine Bitcoin, like uh, Algeria, uh, Syria, uh, Libya, Iraq. If you start looking at the, the, the flares there, I mean, it's, it's, it could probably power the whole Bitcoin network. It's, it's unreal. Uh, Russia, I mean, you can't go to Russia if you're an American country right now, but Bit, Bit Forms, no, Bit, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to put words in someone's mouth. It's either Bit Forms or Bit River. Which one's the Russian one? Uh, there's Probably one in Bit Europe. Bit River, but Bit I, River. I don't, I'm not 100% either. Uh, so like, don't, don't quote me on that, but it's Bit yeah. something. Uh, they are <laughs> mining Bitcoin in Russia because Russia actually has more flare gas than anywhere in the world. Uh, really? So it's, it's yeah, it's, I, I've looked at some sites before that's, you know, a lot of those areas, they actually gather their wells, which makes it better for Bitcoin miners because you have more power density in one spot. And they gather the gas because they strip the, the liquids out of it, like propane, ethane, butane. But the methane is the one that they can't do anything with. So they just flare it because they don't have a pipeline anywhere nearby. That's the one that's really hard to transport. And so they're just flaring this methane. And there's some flares that I've seen that come out to be like, 80 plus megawatt flare sites. And that's just wow. mind boggling to think about. Like it's a whole different world over there. You'll never find that in America, quite frankly, ever. Mm. You'll never find 80 megawatts of flare gas at one spot. Anyone that tells you that, don't invest in their project because they're lying to you. Uh, but you also have a lot in, um, uh, you also have a lot in Central America and Latin America. I'd say Asia, you don't really have much, but Middle East, Central America, Latin America. South Can you? America, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. South America. What about offshore flares? Like, are those a thing, or is that just not worth the effort? So that's funny you bring that up. Uh, we had a group reach out to us recently, and they basically what they were asking me was the viability of it, and uh, I kind of answered the questions because because we've thought a lot through this because offshores do have a lot of flaring. Uh, I would say Giga's probably not going to pursue something like that just because internationally there's enough flaring that we're going to stay really busy just with on mm. onshore flaring. But someone mm. that wanted to tackle that, they definitely could. And I basically told this this company, I was like, well, here's a few problems. It's like if you run your generators offshore, it's like the you know the saltiness of the air. It's called uh, I forgot the term that they call it, but there's an actual name for the saltiness of the air. Uh, it's like sea spray or something like that. Basically, it's going to lower the lifespan of your generators uh, significantly. Uh, you're not going to probably be able to do air-cooled, if I had to guess, because that's going to destroy the hashboards of your miners. Uh, mm. So you're probably got to do something like immersion. Well, then you start thinking about immersion, and it's like, okay, if you're sitting on a platform that's rocking back and forth, is that going to cause problems with the, the liquid sloshing back and forth? So then, it, to me, it comes down to like, hydro cooling or something like that, right? Or something that's in a containment that is pressure injected, right? So you can push yep. and you don't have to worry about gravity fed and this and that. And I kind of told him at the end of it, I said, long story short, I said, anyone that's well capitalized enough and has the money to do this, you can probably figure it out in the next year or so, if I had to guess. And they came back and they're like, well, just want to let you know, you know, in case you didn't realize we're 
like the biggest company and like one of the biggest companies in the world. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I'm just saying like, don't <laughs> ask me, don't ask me to come do a pilot project for you. Cause I don't have the money to go do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So to finish off the, the prior question, um, you know, when you think of gig in five, 10, 15, you know, what's the dream here? What, how is this materializing in your mind? Yeah. So if, if my vision and my goal is I want us to have hash rate distributed globally. Uh, I want to go to where the infrastructure problems are, especially places that have infrastructure problems that aren't going to be solved anytime soon. I want to continue to focus on vertical integration of building out vertical integration, building out the boxes, building out the generators. You know, we have a full shop that, that remanufactures generators. Uh, on top of that, I see Giga as a complete uh, power play as well in the sense of you are dealing with a point in time that uh, we're in an energy crisis. Natural gas is the cleanest form of hydrocarbons. Uh, Diesel generators, diesel power is being uh, decommissioned. The, you know, you see like e-fracks and like natural gas fracks, like people are trying to get rid of diesel and they're trying to use natural gas because they realize the abundance of it that we have and how clean it is. And just quite frankly, a lot of people have emission standards. So you're seeing this world that natural gas, I'm very bullish on natural gas power, no matter what the price is, I'm very bullish on natural gas power because we have to have it. So our goal as Giga is to not only be a power provider for ourselves, but to also be a, we've started a process of renting generators now, of be a power provider for others. And the reason we came, you know, not to get sidetracked, but the reason we came to that point is we had a project that we rented generators for and people were employed just for our small rental fleet. And I was thinking in my head, I was like, wow. I was like, these guys are literally justifying labor just for us. We're the only rentals in that area. I said, if we have our own power production in an area that we're mining, the, the cost for us to add a rental fleet in the area is it's a marginal cost to build on. And it actually subsidizes. That's when I go back to like the revenues that subsidize your hash rate. It actually subsidizes our business because we already have to have our own mechanics for our own power generation. And we have to justify that. And if people can justify that for us as a service, and we already have that, that you know, so we ended up putting all of our own generators there after, you know, we just had to wait for them to come in. We put all of our own generators there. We already have to justify a mechanic. So our cost to add in that area to the market, right? So say you're in an area where a group has to bring out rentals and they're making money off of only rentals. We're making money. We already have a funded ecosystem in that area because of Bitcoin mining. And so our ability to, to rent out generators literally doesn't cost us hardly anything. And it's actually, it's actually an insane payback periods. Quite frankly, it's, it's, it's quicker than a Bitcoin mining itself. Um, mm. But the ability to rent that out and offer natural gas power solutions to the, the, to the area, anywhere that we go and mine is kind of the same thing as adding those extra revenues that's going to bring down our cost per kilowatt hour where our marginal cost of mining Bitcoin, you know, we may have a point in time, which 
if you factor in our electrical costs to mine Bitcoin on our sites and you take the revenues that we're getting, yes, I understand they still have to have payback. But when you boil it all down, it creates bigger economies of scale that allow for you to have a lower cost per kilowatt hour. Does that make sense? And, totally. and you're seeing that not even in just like a flare gas application and oil wells that need uh, natural gas wells, uh, natural gas generators. You're seeing reciprocating engines being built like crazy for solar and wind because they have to have backup power generation and they're mm. not going to build a huge gas turbine. They're not going to build this huge gas power plant for something they don't even really want to use. They just need something that's that's like on point emergency power. We need power for the, the solar form right now. So when you start looking at this growth of natural gas reciprocating engines, which is what our bread and butter is, you're just seeing a world where not only is it we're already uh, incentivized to grow to do flare gas Bitcoin mining, but everything around us is also complementing our industry and just creating other revenue streams as a company. So that's that's where I see Giga in five to 10 years is I would hope that we are global. I would hope that we are self-mining. I don't want to host. I would hope that we own our own power generation. We also provide power generation and we provide product to the Bitcoin mining ecosystem to help build out hash rate and create a more distributed network. Damn, I like the sounds of that. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. <laughs> you know, the, the 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 master incentive of Bitcoin just permitting uh, efficiencies and opportunities in so many other of these areas, you know, while it's all directed towards stacking sats and decentralizing the network. But as as a result of that being the primary objective, you put yourself in a position to open up these revenue streams and provide products and services to other people that need them for those and similar or tangential uh, operations or reasons. It's, 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 an it's a beautiful time, thing, man. man. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, look, man, I've taken up enough of your time already. I, I really appreciate uh, you hanging out with me and, and discussing this all and educating me uh, today. Any final you know, thoughts or words or shills you want to get off your chest before we shut it down? No, uh, I really appreciate you having me on the podcast, I guess, to, to anyone that does listen. Uh, and, you know, you have a huge group that's listening to this. So I really like I can't tell you how excited I was for you to, to be able to bring me on and allow me to shill off grid mining to all the people. Uh, so <laughs> for all the people that are listening, just keep keep uh, keep your head down. Don't worry about the noise and keep stacking sats. Keep pushing going. Well said, brother. All right. Yeah. Thanks again. And uh, talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Take care. I hope you all enjoyed that discussion with Brent. If you'd like to hear more from him, follow him on Twitter at B underscore Whitehead 21. And to learn more about his company, visit gigaenergy.com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.